Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, Lisa Scheim and I are going to be talking about the timing technique known as transits in astrology and doing a deep dive sort of introduction and overview to the technique that's going to be very detailed in order to give you probably the most detailed overview and introduction to the technique that is available out there anywhere. So uh, thanks for joining me. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Chris. Glad to be here. Let me read the data for those who are curious. So today is Wednesday, August 17th, 2022, starting at, it looks like exactly 11 o'clock a.m. in Denver, Colorado. This should be episode 365 of the Astrology Podcast. And this is an episode that I've been meaning to do for many, many years now, and you and I have been talking about doing for quite a while, um, and I'm excited to finally do it. I feel like it's finally time, now that we're 350 episodes into the podcast, to do what is the probably the most important timing technique in astrology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, transits are pretty much, I would say, the first timing technique that most astrologers learn after just birth chart placements. Yeah, it's pretty much one of, if not the main timing technique in astrology. And one of the things that's unique about it is that it's one of the few timing techniques that's used across almost all major traditions of astrology, um, both from ancient to modern astrology, as well as from um, Eastern astrology and like India and other areas, as well as in the West and, and the use of astrology from the Middle East and Europe and everywhere else. So it's a pretty ubiquitous concept. And the reason why it's used by so many traditions of astrology is because um, transits relate to where the planets are actually at in the sky right now. And it relates where the planets are in the sky right now to events happening um, on Earth or events happening in your life at the moment. So it's relevant in terms of the experience of life uh, at a specific moment in time, from moment to moment, and can be used as a sort of continuous timing technique in that context. Mm-hmm, right. <clears throat> and it's not its not like a symbolic timing technique. Like there are several, uh, probably more than several, t- symbolic timing techniques in astrology. Things like annual perfections or secondary progressions, where you're um, with annual perfections, you're moving um, one sign per year, or with secondary progressions, it's equating approximately one day to one year of life. Um, and so those are moving time symbolically through the chart. But transits are actually unique in that it's just what's going on right now, and you can compare it to what's going on for you right now or for the collective right now. Yeah, and I think that's really important because then there's less, it's less abstract because it's not a symbolic technique. It's just literally where are the planets at the moment and how is that relating to your life? Um, both in terms of sometimes internal events where sometimes transits can describe uh, passing or transitory emotional states like being really irritable on one day or being really happy and op- optimistic in another in a way that stands out. Um, but also transits can relate to concrete external events that happen in a person's life also, like um, you know getting married or um, getting a new major job or becoming famous or making a new friend or what have you. All of these are types of external events and experiences that transits can speak to and can um, sometimes even predict. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think even compared to birth charts, most people learn birth chart placements first when they first get into astrology. 
But I think even compared to that, transits are a more immediate way to kind of see, does astrology do something or not, right? Because it's immediate feedback in your life rather than, um, you know, say, well, is that the kind of person I am? I feel like it's a little bit more concrete and direct oftentimes of sort of corroboration or not. Yeah, because when somebody reads like an interpretation or even if they go to an astrologer to get interpretations of what their birth chart placements mean, and especially if um, some of those are character-based, some of that can be somewhat subjective in terms of whether it lands or doesn't land or whether certain character traits are truly you know, um, part of the person's character or personality or what have you versus with transits because it does relate to you know, did a specific event that matches the archetypal meaning of this transit happen on this specific day? Um, and it's given us a, a narrow, relatively narrow objective time frame to determine if that event did occur or not. There is something that's more objective about it and more, more measurable in some sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that you just mentioned, you know, that it can be event or it can be like a passing feeling or something. I think it's important to sort of um, emphasize that point, because while some transits um, do reflect actual events in your surroundings, some are, it's not that they're totally subjective, but they can be more internal states, because it is talking about, you know, how it's affecting your birth chart. So, sometimes it's internal states, sometimes it's external events. Um, it can kind of go both ways, sometimes either or, or both. Right. All right. So, um really important point right from the start from a technical standpoint is that transits relate to, as you already said, the positions of the planets in the sky, and you relate those back to where they were in your birth chart or in the birth chart that you're studying. So the premise is that the birth chart sets up certain potentials, and this is sort of like the, the foundation or the natal promise um, you might say that certain things are promised to happen in a person's life from the moment they were born at some point in the future. So then the question becomes, you know, when will those events take place or when will that natal promise be delivered in some way? And the, part of the answer to that is that it will happen when certain planetary alignments come up in the future during the course of the person's life at certain fixed periods or certain predictable, even predetermined periods, since all of the planetary movements are predetermined, you know, long ahead of time. But um, those events will manifest when certain transits happen during the course of a person's life. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's kind of related to, you know, right now we're going to be talking about how it, how it impacts certain natal charts, whether it's a person or a company or what have you. Um, and we also touch later on the collective, but um, usually you're comparing it to a specific birth chart. And one of the reasons why that awakens that at that time or impacts that at that time during timing techniques and transits in particular we're talking about today is that not all of the placements in a birth chart, you, you learn what all the placements mean initially when you first get into astrology, but they're not actually all equally active all at the same time. There's sort of a baseline in which you can kind of understand your chart in terms of who you are, but there's also potentials within the birth chart to um, <clears throat> manifest certain events or manifest certain things in certain areas of life. And that's the kind of thing that the transits are awakening. Yeah. Um, and so here, for example, let me just share a copy 
of my birth chart on the screen. So there's just my birth chart, which is just a snapshot of where the planets were exactly at the moment that I was born, at the exact time and exact city and location of my birth. So that's the alignment of planets then. But what happens is that all of the planets kept moving forward after that point. Um, and at different times, uh, certain planets move faster or slower. And at certain points, some of those planets will return back to where they were when I was born. And that's an important turning point or an important transit. Or different planets will form other types of aspects or alignments or you might say configurations with where they were in the birth chart. And that's essentially what a transit is. So the term transit comes from the Greek word epimbosis, which means to step upon or to walk across something. Just like how the most easy way to visualize this is if you imagine um, over the past few years, for example, when there's an eclipse, let's say in the middle of the day, the moon will um, move across or walk across or step upon the face of the sun. And during the course of an eclipse over a few hour time frame, you literally watch the moon sort of walk in front of the sun from our standpoint. And that's a transit in some ways of, of the moon over the sun. Um, but all of the planets can do that. And we've seen that at different points as well. For example, sometimes during a Venus-Sun conjunction, you'll see um, Venus walk across the face of the sun and obscure the sun at a certain point. So that's where the concept of transit comes from, is this idea of planets <clears throat> um, aligning and walking across each other's paths from our vantage point. Mm -hmm. And so some of the things that transits show are, for instance, when certain areas of life are more active than others, um, because they're literally transiting through that area of your chart. Um, it can also show why at certain times there'll be different qualities going on in the same area of your life. So at one point, say there's one transit that makes things really serious in that area of your life. And then at another time, there are other transits that make things particularly nebulous and um, kind of distinctly different from that earlier period. And that's part of why that is, as um, different transits with different qualities going through that area of your chart. Right. So that'll be one really interesting thing that we'll get into in terms of different planets have different meanings. And when they move into different sectors of your chart, they're going to import those meanings into whatever sector of your chart uh, is represented. And then different sectors of your chart represent different areas of your life, oftentimes following, for example, the um, significations of the 12 houses, which represent 12 different areas of life with their own unique meanings, like the first house represents the body, the fourth house represents the home and the parents, the seventh house is relationships, or the tenth house is career. At different points, you're going to have planets moving through those sectors of your chart, and that's going to be when those areas of your life become activated or become more of the focal point um, because there's planetary activity taking place in that area of your life. Yeah. And I think, you know, many people get into astrology kind of curious about like, oh, what does this say about me? You know, what, what are the planets in my chart and things? But um, I actually find that transits are a little more illuminating because alternatively, some people get into astrology going like, why is this certain thing happening in my life right now? Right. 
that often draws people to astrologers to say, like, explain why this, why I'm having this kind of time in life right now. And transits can um, very much do that, and I think they can be very validating in that respect. Yeah, for sure, of the different phases, and, and it provides an explanation for, you know, sometimes there's events that come completely out of nowhere um, that can happen, and that represents oftentimes transits acting as a trigger, which shows the activation of certain potentials at certain discrete or specific moments in time, like a specific day or sometimes a specific hour or minute. But other times, we all experience different phases or different seasons of our life. And that can also sometimes be represented by slower moving outer planet transits that aren't usually aligned to happen only on a specific day, but instead they're things that take place gradually over the period of many days or weeks or months or even years. Right. Yeah. So inner planets tend to move more quickly, outer planets more slowly. We'll get into the specifics. Um, but um, another thing that um, transits can do is show um, areas of life that are not particularly emphasized in your birth chart suddenly become more so at certain times in your life. And that's, for example, if um, transiting planets are moving through a house or an area of your chart that doesn't have natal placements. And so it's not quite, you know, empty houses are not completely empty. It doesn't mean that nothing happens in that area of your life. But it is true that if you have more of a concentration of natal planets in a certain area of your life, that will be more active for you than average. And so, say, transits, transiting planets are moving through an empty house, an empty natal house, then suddenly that area of life will be more active than usual for whatever reason, depending on the specifics of the transiting planet. Yeah, and that's a really important point because students often early in their studies have that question of, um, you know, if I don't have any planets in a house, does that mean that that area of my life isn't important or that nothing is going to happen in that area? For example, if, if a person has their seventh house without any planets in it, sometimes they might get worried and, and think that they're not going to have relationships or something like that, since the seventh house is the place of marriage. Um, and usually astrologers will respond and say, no, if there's no planets in a house, then you just look to the ruler of that house and how it's situated in the chart. And that's true to a certain extent in terms of just looking at natal signatures or what the natal promise is. But the other part of the answer to that question is actually, even if your chart is empty in a certain sector of it in the natal chart, at different points in your life, planets are going to move through that house, and that's going to be when that area of your life becomes more active and more prominent, and that happens pretty much for everybody at, at certain points. Like One of my recent favorite transit examples um, was Britney Spears, who... Britney Spears was born with Libra rising and Aries in her seventh house. So um, Aries is the, the seventh whole sign house, and there's no planets there natally. Um, but interestingly, just this year, the, the planet Jupiter moved into the sign of Aries. And so it moved into, by transit, her seventh house, and then she got married um, not too long after that. Let me put up a by wheel to show you. So here's her chart on the inside, and then on the outside is where the transiting planets are today. And over the past few months, um, Jupiter has been transiting through the sign of Aries, so it's been in her seventh house. Jupiter is the planet of growth and optimism and expansion, 
and generally good things since it's the greater benefic. And so when Jupiter goes into her seventh house, she gets married or, or you know, has a permanent, ideally long-term relationship begin at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a nice straightforward example. I like that. Yeah, because that's sometimes, you know, all transits are pretty straightforward things like that. And it's good to break it down and think very basically from the start. And we're, we're trying to build things up from a very basic standpoint here, and then we'll get more complicated because transits, while it's one of, in some ways, the most basic timing techniques, it does have different, more advanced applications that we're going to get into during the course of this as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So anyway, but the final point in this section is just that tr transits primarily relate back to the natal chart as the root chart. So the natal chart sets up the basic premise or the basic foundation of a person's life. And then the premise is that you're then looking at the, the movements of the planets after a person was born um, from that point forward and relating them back to the placements in the natal chart itself. Right. Um, because it's kind of, um, for people who don't know astrology at all, sometimes there's a misconception that, well, surely all the planets transiting at the same time don't affect everyone the same way. And that's actually true. They don't. Um, there, there is a collective component, but by and large, we're looking first to how does that impact your actual foundational chart, your birth chart. And that will be different for everyone. Yeah, because it differentiates one of the criticisms of astrology. Uh, if, if a skeptic or if somebody only knows sun sign astrology is the premise that you know, that the world is just broken up into 12 groups or 12 signs, and that you're only talking about the sun sign, and that that would be true for everybody that was ever born. And for example, late October or early November, everybody has the sun in Scorpio. But there's different people that are born on different dates and different years. And um, in addition to the natal charts of those people, the alignments of those people being different in everybody's birth chart, um, being born on a different day or a different year is also going to affect your experience of different transits, which are going to take place at different times in a person's life as well. Right, right. So the same transits can impact different people in very different ways in different areas of their life. Yeah, and transits are one of the things just that personalizes astrology in general in terms of um, greater differentiation uh, beyond just the basics of sun sign astrology. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't show, I meant to show uh, just like an animation of my chart when I showed it earlier, just to further demonstrate, even though it's like belaboring the point a little bit, but just to visualize this, because we're going to be looking at by wheels a lot here. But um, so just to reiterate that, this is my basic birth chart, which is the alignment of the planets or a snapshot, let's say, of the planets at the moment that I was born with the sun at nine Scorpio, the moon at 24 Aquarius, uh, the ascendant at 17 Aquarius, and so on and so forth. But then what I want to show for the video viewers is um, another bi-wheel where my birth chart is on the inside, the transiting planets are on the outside, and we can see since I have the outside date set to the same day I was born, but here in SolarFire I'm going to animate it and move the chart forward one day, 
and we can see that the moon has changed signs and it moved from Aquarius into Pisces in the bottom left corner. So the moon moves pretty fast. It changes signs every couple, every two to three days. And if you just keep moving the chart forward by days, you start seeing all the planets in the outside wheel starting to move forward, um, sometimes more quickly and sometimes more slowly, and eventually change signs. For example, we see on November 14th, Venus moved from Sagittarius into Capricorn. And then a few days later, on November 16th, Mars moved from Capricorn into Aquarius. So each time, basically every day you move forward, there's different planets that are moving at different rates around a person's chart, and they're moving into different houses or different sectors of the chart. And then occasionally what will happen is that a planet will catch up to and will, let's say, initially conjoin sometimes the degree of where another planet was when the person was born. So for example, here on November 20th, the planet Venus reached eight degrees of Capricorn, which is the degree where my natal Jupiter was at eight Capricorn when I was born. And that's a specific planetary alignment of a transiting conjunction of transiting Venus to trans to natal Jupiter. All right. So yeah, so the, the birth chart sets up the foundation and then transits always relate back to the birth chart itself. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move into the next section where we talk about how transits can be applied and what they apply to. And what's important here to talk about at first is how transits can be used in order to study the past, the present, or the future. So they can be used to study all three of the times or all three of the different times. So the first starting point that we'll start with is that you can look up the transits for where they're at in the present and where the planets are at in the sky right now. And the basic premise or the basic principle is that the alignment of the planets right now, right now will describe some facets of your life as you're experiencing it in the present. And what's interesting about this is that this basic premise, or this is one of the basic the basic hypothesis of transits, and it's something that you can actually test to see if it's true by literally observing if the alignment of the planets and what those alignments are supposed to mean symbolically as they relate to your birth chart, if those interpretations are actually true and do actually describe something about your life right now. Right. So it really is immediate feedback, like we were talking about a bit ago. Um, so you can just, you don't have to wait, you don't have to say, well, this transit in two years, you just say, what, what's happening right now? How is that impacting my birth chart in particular? And what do I notice, um, either internally or externally, that's going into my life at the moment? Right, exactly. So um, let's give some examples. So just some hypothetical examples of different types of transit. So let's say, for example, that um, the transiting you know, one, one hypothetical example is if transiting Mars conjoins your natal Mercury on a specific day and you get into a major argument with somebody, for example. Mm -hmm. So let me find, uh, I have a little diagram for that one just to visualize this for those watching the video version. So let's say a person's natal Mercury is at like 25 degrees of Gemini and let's say 
So that's where it is in their birth chart when the day they were born. So that makes that 25 Gemini a sensitive degree for especially um, communication or the topic of communication for them in their life at 25 Gemini because their natal Mercury was there when they were born. Then let's say today in the sky, the planet Mars comes up and it reaches the exact same degree at 25 degrees of Gemini. So that would be a transit of transiting Mars in the sky right now to natal Mercury. And Mars itself symbolically represents anger, arguments, fighting, conflict. Um, in ancient astrology, it even represented war, which is like a, a large-scale type of fighting. So when the planet that represents fighting conjoins the planet in your birth chart that represents communication, it can indicate something like a verbal argument. So that would be one thing you could see and test if that coinciding of a planet in the sky in the present, if you see that transit happen in your chart, does coincide with some sort of verbal argument. So right. that's a very, very simple one. Yeah, it can be that straightforward. And that can come about in a few different ways. That can be, for instance, you're talking to someone and suddenly they become very kind of like vigorous about like arguing with you about something. That can also be something like um, you're talking with someone and you notice before it quite happens, um, you're like quicker to anger or you're quicker to like feel offense or things like that, whether or not that actually comes out of your mouth that way, frequently it will. But um so those are the couple kind of ways you can notice it, either in your environment or within yourself. Yeah, that in some instances it can be like an internal feeling that you're like more irritable and you're more, more prone to arguments on that day, and then mm -hmm. you actually get into an argument on that day, partially as a result of something that was initially coming from an internal feeling, um, which is one scenario of a sort of internal transit that becomes an external transit. But other times there can be like an external event, like you run into somebody in that day that's being particularly aggressive or pushy or argumentative with you quite mm -hmm. independent of anything you're doing and then right. that ends up they end up getting an argument with you and that ends up negatively affecting you and making you more irritable or making you more angry because of this external influence and that's more of an an external experience of a transit but it's also something that happens there's always you know, two sides of the coin, um, either scenario can take place under a transit in some instances. Mm -hmm, exactly. And so again, you know, it's not to belabor the point, but it's important, especially if you're new to astrology, this kind of thing is why it's not the case that your birth chart is the only thing that's important. You know, you get, you get used to learning your birth chart placements and such, but it doesn't mean that you are always 100% of the time the same exact kind of person in every environment, on every day, etc. And this is part of why, because you have these transiting influences that at certain times um, color the otherwise, you know, foundational chart there. Yeah, that's a good point. So even if you have certain placements in your birth chart and certain alignments of planets, or let's say combinations of planets that indicate certain things or give you a proclivity towards certain types of character traits or personality traits or even actions or events in your life, and let's say that you don't have other types of alignments, that doesn't actually matter hugely because all of us will experience some of those alignments at some point in the future. So sometimes transits give you the opportunity to experience certain um, 
you might say even birth chart placements in some sense, but instead of having them baked in your birth chart for your entire life, you just have those transits for a temporary period of time that is is transitory. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's like a really good point. It's something that I really appreciate about transits frequently, even though I've been thinking about them for a long time. I still appreciate that um, as transits move through different signs or make different aspects with your own chart, you kind of get a little feeling for what it would be like to have that more permanently in your birth chart. You know, it's just going to be a transitory experience for you personally, um, but you can kind of get a sense of like, this is what it would be like for me to have this permanently in my birth chart. And I, I actually really like that part um, because it, it kind of, at least it can lend itself to empathy for like different types of people in the world and what it would be like to be a different kind of person like what what it would be like if you just froze that transit and you always had that and you kind of get a sense of oh some people have that in their birth chart and that's what that's their filter you know so anyway I really appreciate that part for kind of lending empathy to like different experiences of life and different types of people right because somebody that was born natally on the day of a Mercury Mars conjunction some of those character traits that might come along with that might be you might be more argu argumentative in general. You might just be more direct or more blunt in your style of communication. Mm -hmm. You might you might like a little bit of like verbal sparring or mm -hmm. other things like that, or maybe even like using like curse words or something in a way that feels more natural to you or comes more naturally to you than it might somebody else. And that's like that can be a birth chart placement that a person experiences and grows and is some sort of core part of their personality that they you know come to terms with and experience in different ways during the course of their life but it's still something that's kind of like a recurring theme or something that sticks with them throughout their life versus if you experience that as a transit of transiting mars conjoining your mercury you get to experience that for like a few day period of like what that might be like um, if it was built into your birth chart yeah, exactly. So I think it's actually good to, I mean, that happens somewhat naturally, but I think it's good to actually consciously notice that as transits go uh, go around and, and, you know, appreciate that. Right. Um, all right, let's give another hypothetical example. Let's say you're born with uh, the planet Jupiter at like 15 degrees of Virgo, right in the middle of that sign. And then the transiting moon someday comes up and it moves through Virgo and then it goes through the middle degrees of Virgo and exactly conjoins the degree where Jupiter was in your birth chart at 15 degrees of Virgo. And the moon moves very fast, so it's only going to be in that degree for like an hour or two, basically. And But this might be a transitory experience of just having like emotionally like a very positive or very optimistic day in which you have a good day and things are looking very bright for you for a period of time, or that there's some particularly... Um, brief but transitory positive experience of luck or good fortune that occurs to you during that time window. Right. And that's another good example where it could be coming from either direction, from internal experiences or from external things. For instance, um, if the moon is transiting right over your Jupiter during a certain part of the day, then you might indeed have just better luck. You might have people who are just like giving you opportunities, you know, even small ones um, more readily than at other times or People are more cheerful with you. Um, alternatively, or and or, you could uh, just wake up that day feeling better than usual. You're like, I don't know why, but I woke up in a good mood. 
Um, and then you kind of carry that forward into your day. And because of that, you know, your experience of your day can be more positive um, because inter your internal state is already kind of oriented that way uh, temporarily more than usual. Um, yeah. That is particularly true with those really brief moon transits. Yeah. So there's some transits by inner planets that are quicker and, and more brief and therefore tend to be a little bit less important most of the time um, because they happen more frequently versus there's some outer planet transits that are much more slow and happen much more infrequently in a person's life and also take longer to occur. And so therefore they may be more important or, or the gravity of those situations may be more serious than shorter transits basically. Mm -hmm. um, another thing about this one is that in this hypothetical chart, let's say Scorpio is the ascendant and Sagittarius is on the second house of money and finances. So Jupiter is the second house, the ruler of the second house of money and finances. So let's say when transiting moon conjoins Jupiter, it's a very quick transit. So it's like a low level event, but maybe the person finds like $20 lying on the ground. So there's a, a very brief, you know, um, stroke of luck that occurs over like a one hour period that's kind of a positive event that happens on that person's day. But for the most part, it's probably not something that's like life-changing or life-shattering life per se. Right. And extending that a little further um, in this particular chart, if it was Scorpio rising, then that Virgo would be the 11th house of friends and groups in the social sphere. So say the moon was briefly transiting over that Jupiter, maybe it's your friend who suddenly lends you money that day. And so it connects those um, two houses in your chart that um, the moon is going over the ruler that the, the ruler of the second placed in the 11th. So it's always connected to your actual birth chart in terms of how you experience it, because you can't get rid of your birth chart. That's always the, the foundation. So, um, are you sure we yeah. can't get, ri get rid of it? I'm still... <laughs> I have tried. Still. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All right. No, um, yeah, and kind of the flip side of that Jupiter one, you know, the, the moon transits, they're not super important in the sense that they're not lasting, but they can still impact you in a way that's kind of striking and, you know, colors even your one day. I had the flip side of that uh, moon-Jupiter example happen not that long ago where I woke up and the moon was exactly to the minute on my natal Saturn when I woke up for the day. And I swear just that whole day, I was like, I feel like Saturn all day. Uh, and, you know, so it can be like that. It's not something that's going to affect you for a month or even a week, but it can still be striking in the moment as it's passing through that region. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes there can be other confounding factors when there's like multiple transits lining up on the same thing. And then the moon moves in there. Sometimes that can act mm -hmm. as a trigger of mm -hmm. like the little domino piece that knocks over a whole sequence of other dominoes. Mm -hmm. So, Definitely. and we'll come to that more later. Let me give one last third hypothetical example. Let's say we have a chart with Taurus rising, and let's say the degree of the midheaven is up there in the 10th whole sign house around, let's say, 10 degrees of Aquarius. And then let's say that transiting Saturn, which is a very slow-moving planet, comes up and conjoins 10 degrees of Aquarius so that it conjoins the degree of the midheaven in this person's chart. And then let's say hypothetically that they um, they get fired from their job or they get laid off. So mm -hmm. Saturn, Saturn archetypally is a planet of, of contraction and sometimes that can mean loss or suffering a, an obstacle or a setback of some sort. 
Um, so the midheaven and the tenth house more broadly represents one's career, one's social standing, and one's overall life direction, and sometimes one's vocation or work. So having transiting Saturn move through there and hitting a sensitive point in the 10th house could mean a challenge or an obstacle comes up and one scenario could be losing one's job for some reason. Mm-hmm, definitely. I actually had that transit and that exact thing happened. Um, I remember that, not in Aquarius. Oh, right, I forgot about that. That was yeah. the, the one store. Yeah. You were, mm-hmm. you, were, you were not super pleased about that. <laughs> I was not super pleased. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> so we could go in further into that transit. But yeah, it tends to be either a pinnacle or a contraction. In my case, it was a contraction, but then therefore pared down my work, ex- my work situation such that I eventually moved towards astrology kind of in a semi-forced fashion. <laughs> yeah, uh, sometimes Saturn closes one door in order to open other doors later on, and it becomes... Mm-hmm. A constructive thing, even if in the long term, even if it's experienced as a loss or a hardship in the immediate present, like short term. Right. If you're thinking about Saturn transits in particular, they're longer and it represents things that take a long time anyway. And so those are typically thing where you, things where you experience it a certain way in the moment, but you may have a different perspective as time goes by. Yeah. So Super important point is just to start paying attention to your transits and where the planets are now on a daily basis and seeing in what ways that informs your experience of the present. Um, And you'll start seeing some really interesting things as you do that. Mm -hmm. All right. So moving into the second time, you can also take transits and use them in order to go back and study the past. So what you do here is you look up important dates and important periods in your life in the past that have happened to you already at some point during the course of your life, and then you see what transits were occurring during those time frames, and if those transits accurately described the events that occurred in your life at that time. Mm -hmm. So this is a really interesting and fun thing to do, especially early in astrologers' studies, is to just look back in the past and see how the transits played out with previous events. And it's a great way to learn what certain transits mean and um, to get a a sort of crash course in how certain transits have played out for you already in your own personal chronology. Right, because you can't look forward yet. I mean, you can look forward, but you can't experience the future quite yet. And you might be waiting around to be like, oh, this transit happens for me in five years, but I don't really know how that's going to play out yet. But you can look back in your past. It's especially useful if you either have kept journals or you have searchable emails or some sort of records like that. I mean, you can still do it, of course, without that, but that's particularly those are particularly helpful tools to use in this process. Um, and just also just notable events in your life that you remember from the past. Just look up in the, you know, look up uh, in the ephemeris or in your software what, what transits were happening at that time, especially if you, if you can localize it to the day. But even if it's, say, like a month or something, you can see what combination of transits were happening at that time and how were they impacting particular areas of your birth chart. And that can be just fascinating. I mean, I feel like I've mostly exhausted that at this point, but every now and then I think of something else and look it up and I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Um, Because it will always match really strikingly. Um, So yeah, and you can spend a while doing that. And that's a great way to to learn um, early on before you've experienced all the transits in real time that you're watching. Yeah, for sure. 
and um, and then obviously you have a lot more to work with if you're working with your past chronology of like you know 20 years or 30 years or 40 or 50 years or however long you've been alive at that point you've got a lot more data to go back and study compared to if you're only paying attention to the present you're just talking about like the current day or the current week or the current month or the current year even if we're talking about the year being the present and in terms of what outer planets transits you're experiencing that's still a much more limited data set than if you're looking at the past like 30 years of your life and all of the major events and turning points that have occurred for you up to that point so for example you could go back and using that saturn transit example you could go back and look at that time when you got fired from your job or you got laid off and see what the transits were and if you see at that point that transiting saturn was exactly on the degree of your midheaven at that time that in and of itself becomes a really impressive example from your own history of how uh, transits can work out in practice. And that gives you useful data to start learning as an astrologer, because then sometimes once you've developed those past experiences, you can either, well, you can apply that to other people. For example, if you start sitting down with clients or friends or family, and you see that they have a certain transit that's happening to them right now in the present, um, you might be able to then draw on your own personal experiences and say, well, when I had this transit you know, 10 years ago, this was what happened to me. And it may not work out precisely that way for you, but at least you know a certain archetypal range of experiences that are possible from that transit at that point. Yeah, definitely. So this is really useful to, to do for your learning process, if you're learning astrology. Um, it can also additionally be useful in terms of more contextualizing your own experiences. So for instance, you know, typically, especially earlier in our lives, we tend to take everything personally. You know, every, we don't really like have a, uh, a stepped back look in terms of like we experienced this and we had a certain range of emotions around this event. And, and it's really interesting to look back um, and apply the transits to what we're going on. And it kind of gives you like an outside perspective in addition to how you felt at the time. Like, oh, that's what was going on at that time. That makes a lot of sense. I, at least personally, I've felt that that's useful sometimes to, to kind of give you a sense of like, of course, this type of thing should have been happening at that time, even if at the time I wasn't pleased about it. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think it's useful for that too. I'm impressed that you've learned to stop th taking things personally. I myself <laughs> have not learned that, uh, but I think I understand what you mean abstractly. It gives you a double consciousness. <laughs> it gives you your personal experience, and you it also gives you the astrological look, which can be a little bit more objective sometimes. Yeah, I, or it's another way is that on the podcast, there's this recurring thing we talk about of like hashtag astrologer good which is like something terrible happens in your life. But the when you look at it with the astrology, uh, the alignment of the planets at that time describes the event so well that you're so impressed, almost like intellectually, that the astrology worked so well in describing it that you're not even mad at the event itself happening in some, some level, or at least you're just momentarily sort of impressed by the astrology. Right. It can make you laugh rather than only groan or something. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a it's a great way. It's again a kind of a double consciousness of like um, understanding something intellectually as well as experiencing it personally. Yeah, so astrology and especially transits becomes a way of being able to intellectually step outside of your life for a moment and get an, a different perspective, which is 
uh, a weird experience because we don't usually have that experience of stepping outside of our own lives very often and being able to look at it truly objectively. But that's one of the, the most bizarre and striking things about astrology, especially when you're looking at transits and events in your past, is it truly does give you more of an objective view of some events that have happened to you up to this point. Yeah, ex exactly. And, you know, of course, you can apply this to your own life. Um, but I've found it also very striking when I've talked with people. Typically, you know, a lot of clients will come if you're doing client work or even just talking with a friend about their chart. Um, a lot of them, of course, will want to know what's coming up in the near future. But sometimes you do talk about something that happened in the past. And I've been kind of struck by how simple but healing that can be sometimes. Like, say, if someone had a really difficult experience at some part of their life, and then you say, this is what was going on at that time. Uh, you know, it's not that that always makes it all better for and or for everyone, but it can be. You know, it can really be like, oh, of course, that kind of thing was supposed to happen, rather than like it was random. I think, you know, that can go a long way make people feel like, oh, this thing wasn't random. It didn't just target me, you know? <laughs> this was just the natural cycle of this planet through my chart. Yeah, well, and you and I have a longstanding debate about this, and I don't know if your views have changed, but for me, I see that the alignment of, of those major transits with specific important events and turning points in a person's life as imbuing our lives with a greater sense of like meaning and purposeness and orderliness that implies that things are more deliberate and sort of faded or um, just the opposite of like random and meaningless, but instead there's something else going on and there's some sort of like pre-existing narrative that we're born into that we play out and there's something that's kind of interesting and reassuring about that to me. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know where you're at with that at this point or if your views have changed. Yeah, no, I mean, I think pretty similar at this point. It's not to say that that makes everything better if, that you know, you do have a hard time. But um, there's still something to be said for it not being like, this is random. This is, you know, because random can sometimes equal seem to equal meaningless. Um, not necessarily for everyone. But yeah, it can go that way because it's like, well, why did this happen? There's no reason. There's nothing you can point to to say, why did this happen? And therefore, it's like... I'm just being randomly targeted by the universe, you know, versus like there's something about this orderly cycle of these planets orbit um, that goes through these particular areas of my chart um, that said I should be having this type of experience uh, roughly at this time. Um, yeah, and so there's something, it, it's not to say it tells you exactly why that is, but it does at least say there's something orderly about it. Yeah, well, and it's also... What's freaky about it is it's not just, it goes beyond the initial sort of unsettlingness of that the birth chart itself, which is just like a snapshot of where the planets were when you were born, can indicate something about your personality or your character or even some events and circumstances that will happen at some point in your life during the course of it, because transits takes that one step further and it starts showing that pretty much all of the subsequent major events in your life to the extent that they coincide with a major transit that also describes that event to some extent. Um, one of the things you have to realize is even those transits themselves were predetermined because mm -hmm. the movements of the planets um, and the orbits of the planets are 
something that's so fixed and so predefined based on gravity and based on the rotations of the planets that we can predict exactly where the planets will be in five or 10 or 20 or even 100 years. So it means that from the moment you are born, every transit that is ever going to happen to you during the course of your life from the moment of birth until the moment of death is something you could already chart out theoretically um, at any point that you wanted to look at it during the course of your life. You could look it up in an ephemeris or in a piece of software and know exactly where Saturn will be in your chart in 30 years or 40 years or 50 years or what have you. Um, now, you know there's some limitations in terms of the number of calculations that you can do and the amount of data that is to process and like go through as well as other things about tan transits being contextual based on where you're at at different points in your life so they may not look make as much sense if you're attempting to look at something like 50 years in the future even if it does in fact describe some events accurately that will take place at that point um Anyway, the point is just that transits, because they're based on planetary movements, are all um, predetermined in some way, and that has some really interesting philosophical implications. Right. It's kind of like a clockwork universe. It's part of tracking the metaphysical structure of the universe or the structure of our lives. Um, I think that's what it does. You know, you fill in the context in terms of what's actually going on in your life at that point, but you can still kind of map the infrastructure, I guess, um, at any given point in your life. Right. All right. So I think that brings us to the third thing you can do with transits, which is that you can use transits in order to look at things that are coming up in the future. So it's not just the present, it's not just the past, but the premise is that, you know, once you've gotten to this point and you've taken those previous two steps, and if you've established that transits are accurately describing not just events in the present and your present experience of life, that there's a correlation between the sky and the earth in the present moment or between the sky and your life and subjective experience of events. And if you've also established that major events in your past have coincided with major transits also at the same time, then by extension, you can also take that information and look at what transits are coming up in the future and what planetary alignments are going to happen to your birth chart at certain fixed or certain specific periods in the future. And then by extension, those planetary alignments should actually tell you some things that are going to happen in your life in the future that haven't taken place yet. Right. So for instance, you can map out, say, the next year or so and say what parts of this coming year are going to be impacted by certain or will coincide with certain um, qualities in different areas of my life. How long will those last or how quickly will they move on to a different area and that sort of thing. You can also look further ahead, but as we were just saying, um, you know, you lose a little bit of the context because you kind of need to know what you're doing at that point and it, then you can kind of piece together the specifics a little bit more of what the, those planets might represent. But, you know, even without, you can still still say this this area of my life will have this certain quality to it or this combination of qualities at this certain point in time. Yeah, like if you're having that Saturn transit through the 10th house and it says that you're going to have an obstacle or a setback in terms of your career at that specific point in time, like 30 years in the future, 
you may not know the context yet because you don't know what specific job you're going to be having. You just know you're going to have that experience primarily, especially if we're just looking at that one transit in isolation of some sort of career setback at that time. And then once you get there 30 years later, you know that you've had that job for like two or three years at that point, but then there was this unexpected change in the economy and they had to downsize and you got laid off or what happened and that was the specific manifestation at the time. But that may have been a transit that you saw coming and you had a general archetypal understanding of many years or decades um, early. Right. Yeah. And it is important to emphasize the archetypal nature because there can be a combination of qualities. It won't always be just the one thing. So there can be, for instance, in that um, example, a setback with regard to career or, you know, being let go from a job, that kind of specific. It can also be um, <clears throat> you just have to work harder for some reason uh, in the area of career for that two and a half to three years um, when that's transiting your 10th house. It can be um, you're working with someone older at that point for some reason. That would also be like a Saturn archetype. There can be a variety of, a variety of things that uh, go along with each individual transit. Yeah, and and I think we'll get into that the archetypal nature of prediction more in the, in later in this. But um, anyways, this ability to take transits and project them out into the future and have them accurately predict or anticipate certain trends or certain events or certain experiences, whether subjective or objective, in the future that have not occurred yet. This is the reason why transits becomes one of the main timing techniques in astrology mm -hmm. and because it really raises the question and it, it raises this really tantalizing possibility you know just as a, as a basic premise if you're just coming into astrology new which is like if that works does that mean astrologers does that give astrologers some ability to see into the future and you know the answer to that is yes and that's why transits then become one of the most interesting and important techniques that astrologers use on a regular basis. Right. You know, it's surprisingly simple once you do learn how to track them. And then you can learn lots of other techniques that are more advanced. But honestly, most astrologers, even if they do know lots of advanced techniques, pretty commonly track transits, you know, at least as one of the things they're doing. It's basic, but it's simple, but um, it, you know, it does reflect reality. Yeah, it's a very powerful and effective timing technique. It's probably mm -hmm. the most powerful or effective one, even knowing other timing techniques that can do some very interesting and very useful things. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's that uh, section why don't we move into a little section here talking about how to calculate transits next? Mm -hmm. Sounds good. All right. So we, we, we like to do it old school initially and at first. And what I usually recommend is one of the first ways that's really good to learn how to look up transits is to get a copy of an ephemeris, either a print, print one or a digital one, and learn how to use an ephemeris because an ephemeris will uh, show you how the planets move, and it will allow you to look up the transits at any given date in the past, the present, or the future. So, um, yeah, ephemeris, you got an ephemeris relatively early on, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. I got multiple, actually. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it. Um, you can use software, which we also do, but 
it, it, it can be a good thing to start with an ephemeris because it shows you what is actually happening. It also shows you not just at a glance for the day or for that week, but you can look forward and backwards at ease, with ease. Um, it'll also show you when the planets are doing something different than their usual rate of motion, since some of them go retrograde. Um, and that will impact how long, for instance, they say, stay in a certain region by sign. Um, so uh, it is good to start with that, to know what you're actually working with before you kind of like let computers do it for yourself, do it for you. Yeah. So uh, first things first, get a copy of your birth chart because you need to know your birth chart, of course, as your reference point for what transits you're trying to look up to and how they relate back to the natal chart. There's free websites. Um, Astro.com is probably the best one. There's also some newer ones like AstroSeek that are good for looking up your birth chart and calculating it correctly. Um, there's also software that you can get. For example, for Windows, the software program that I use and that we're going to use at different points during the course of this episode is called SolarFire from alabe.com. You can use the promo code AP15 in order to get a discount on that software. If you use a Mac, then there's similar software that's made by the same programmers or was made by the same programming team at some point called Astro Gold. And that's pretty good for calculating birth charts and transits using software on Mac. Um, for that, it's the same thing. Use promo code ASTROPODCAST15 for like a 15% discount on that. Um, for apps, if you have like a phone or a tablet, for both Android and iPhone, we use Astro Gold on our, our mobile phones basically in order to calculate birth charts and transits. Astro Gold's a great program for that. So mm -hmm. get your birth chart first, then get a copy of an ephemeris. So if you want to get a printed ephemeris as a book, which I would definitely recommend, I'm a big print book fan, and there's something about being able to flip through the pages of a printed ephemeris that's super useful and super quick. Mm -hmm. So the one we recommend is called the, the American Ephemeris from 1950 to 2050 at noon. So yeah, that, that's the one we usually recommend as a printed one. If you want to get a free online digital PDF ephemeris, then you can get that from astro.com. Just Google astro.com ephemeris, and you'll it'll come up with a page where you can pull up an ephemeris for any year, um, basically in the past century or even centuries in the future or the past. So I have an image from the astro.com ephemeris from their PDF that I can show just to give an example. So this is an ephemeris that shows from the astro.com ephemeris that shows the planetary positions for the month of August 2022, which is the month that we're in now. And at the very top, it shows the symbols for the planets. And then on the left side, it shows the days of the month and the days of the week. And then basically what you do is you just look at the intersection between those rows and columns if you want to look up the positions of the planets. So for example, right now it's August 17th. So on the last on the left column, we look up the 17th. And then um, we look up, if we want to look up the planet Venus, we look at the Venus column and see where that intersects. And we see that Venus is at six, roughly six degrees of the of the sign Leo today. And that tells us where the planet Venus is today. But then by extension, you then also realize that it shows you also where Venus was earlier in the month. 
that it made a, a transit that shifted from the sign of Cancer to Leo on about the 12th of the month. And you can see where it will be later this month. Um, so you can track the movements of Venus and what sign and what degree of each sign of the zodiac that the planet is during the course of a given month. And then you can see that it, it'll do that for all of the other planets. So for the Sun, the Moon, Mercury, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, etc. Mm -hmm. So an ephemeris is just a sort of a analog way of tracking the movements of the planets and to be able to track transits and understand how the planets move. Right. Yeah. And especially if you're not yet familiar with the cycles of the different planets and the kinds of movements they do, um, it can be good to track them in the ephemeris at first in particular in order to not be surprised. Yeah. So I did, actually did a whole episode on this, episode 304 um, I did with Patrick Watson, and you can Google that. It's just titled How to Read an Ephemeris, and Patrick and I went through the whole process of reading an ephemeris and what it's good for and different things you can do with it in detail. But for our purposes, we're primarily just using it to look up transits, and that's what um, it can be really useful for here, so we would recommend it uh, relatively early on in your studies. So what you want to do when you're using the ephemeris to look up transits is that you want to compare what sign and what house placements different planets are transiting through in your chart at the time um, and just compare them where they were in your birth chart. So one of the ways you could do this is by printing out a copy of your birth chart from someplace like astro.com or wherever and then just write um, where the transiting planets are for the day or the time period that you're studying outside the wheel of the chart itself. Mm -hmm. So if I went to astro.com and just like printed up this copy of my birth chart that has the wheel and has the planets on the inside, I would just take a pen and like write outside the wheel where each of the planets are in the individual signs. And that's going to tell me where they are in the individual houses in my chart at the present moment in time, as well as if they're close to the exact degrees of any other planets in the chart. Right. Yeah. And so the different houses they're moving through um, or are going to depict what areas of life that these um, qualities are going to correspond to at that time. Uh, we primarily use whole sign houses. So um, if you don't already have a preferred house system, you can try starting with that as the default. Um, that's also particularly nice to track because um, whole sign houses mean an entire sign is equal to an entire house in your chart, meaning a whole area of life is what the houses are. And so you can pretty neatly track the transits as well because they, um, when they shift signs, they also shift houses if you're using whole sign houses. Right. Yeah. So um, in an ephemeris, you can quick you can see how quickly the planets move through a sign, which is really useful. You can see when planets slow down and station retrograde or direct. Uh, when a planet stations retrograde, it starts moving backwards in the signs of the zodiac rather than forwards. Um, you can also identify exact alignments between planets based on the degrees of the planets. So this happens, for example, when two planets conjoin in the same degree of a sign. So for example, when the planet Venus lines up and, and meets the same degree as the planet Jupiter in the same sign of the zodiac, that would be a conjunction or an alignment of those two planets. Mm -hmm. um, you can also 
uh, look at when planets are aligned on the exact same degrees in different signs by different aspects. Like, for example, the trine is when two planets are exactly 120 degrees away from each other in the zodiac. So you can look up and identify when the planets form those type of aspects or configurations as well. Right. So yeah, just lots of things you can do with an ephemeris. This is basically the raw data and ephemeris that a software program will depict graphically in graphic means. So um, we're starting here with the ephemeris, just that way you know how other charts essentially are generated. Exactly. Yeah, it's good to know what it's actually doing um, before you're kind of told and you might miss some details. Right. All right. So that's the that's the basic, the, the hard way, basically, the like trudging up the snow um, both ways, you know, sort of old school style way of tracking transits by using an ephemeris. Um, it's a little bit imprecise, um, but... Mm -hmm. In terms of visualizing transits, let's go into a new section talking about that for a few minutes. Okay. All right. So as I said earlier, astrologers usually visualize transits by drawing them around the wheel of a birth chart. So usually this involves, you know, putting a basic birth chart in the middle, then drawing the planets outside that wheel. So one of the ways that you can do this, as I said, is just like printing up a copy of your chart from astro.com and then drawing the, the planets around it. Um, but they also have, when you cast your chart on astro.com, there's actually a cool little button up in the top right corner where it has a plus sign and it says with transits. And if you click that, it will recalculate the chart, but then it will draw the uh, planets and where they're at in the sky on the current day around the outside wheel of the chart in green. So we can see my chart now visually, but then in the outside wheel, we can see that um, Mars is at like 27, 28 degrees of Taurus in the sky right now in the outside wheel, or Saturn is at like 22, 21 degrees of Aquarius on the left side, or Mercury is up there in the top right at 22 degrees of Virgo. So that becomes a much quicker and easier way to like visualize transits by having the computer generate the transits on the outside wheel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it can be good to kind of do both early on and start with the ephemeris, but then when you actually see it pictured um, as transits around your chart in software, um, then you can get a better visual understanding of what's actually happening. So the ephemeris will give you like the motion long term or if anything's going to change direction and so forth. Um, but you can actually see it more, you know, illustrated um, by doing that around the wheel. Yeah. And in most software programs, this is also demonstrated or visualized using a bi-wheel where, for example, in Solar Fire, here is my chart again on the inside, and then on the outside, there's a secondary wheel that just shows the positions of the planets um, in a secondary circle. And mm -hmm. here, it's a little bit more clear and it's a little bit more distinct because they're larger and it has the degrees written on them, as well as the degrees of the signs next to each of them. So you know precisely where each transiting planet is in the outside wheel, and you can kind of visualize um, not just what houses those they're moving through in your chart, but you can also kind of visualize um, how they are in relation to certain planets uh, in your birth chart at the same time. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and it's especially nice to do that in software like this because you can actually animate the transits in addition, um, not just put them on the outside of the wheel. Yeah, so if you, um, in Solar Fire, if you go to the animate by wheel feature when you select a natal chart, it'll give you this little dialogue on the top right corner um, that allows you to animate. If you click the animate uh, button, and then you can select under step by uh, what increment of time, if you want to move the chart forward or backward based on seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, or years. So I'll select days, and then if you click the forward button, every time you click the forward button, it will move the transits on the outside wheel forward by one day, while keeping the inside wheel of the birth chart itself fixed or stationary. Right. So that's a super useful tool if you just want to see like where the planets are transiting compared to your birth chart next week, or even like a few years from now, you just click the year three times, and then you have the transits for three years from today. Um, so it's, it's pretty useful. Yeah, and you can even press the play button and it'll like move them forward at a day and just keep moving them forward. So you can actually visualize like rapidly um, days and weeks and months like taking place over the course of like a few seconds or a few minutes mm -hmm. and then you and then you really get you really start to get a sense at that point of how some of the inner planets move very quickly unless they retrograde unless they station retrograde and start moving backwards and some mm -hmm. of the outer planets like saturn for example move very slowly right all right. So practically speaking, that's super useful. Um, different astrologers have different layouts. Sometimes some layout styles um, will put the aspects in the middle, or they'll create like an aspectarian, which will show you what transits are going exact at different times. Um, it's really a matter of what software program you're using and what settings you've created or what have you. Um, but there's different styles. But generally speaking, that's the basic layout for most studies of transits is birth chart in the middle and then transits in an outside bi-wheel basically. And what's interesting about that is that that approach actually goes back potentially uh, like 2,000 years because there's been some ancient astrologers boards that have been found and some of them just show a basic, it's like a chess board that has a birth chart wheel, like a wheel or a zodiac um, on the chessboard, and then the astrologer would take one of these out for a consultation, and they would use little stones that represented each of the planets in order to um, visually depict a person's birth chart. And this seems to have been a pretty common practice in the ancient world in order to do chart readings. But um, there was one of these boards, or possibly two of them, that have been found where it wasn't just one wheel, but instead there was one wheel in the middle, and then there was a second bi-wheel on the outside. And one of the things that the astrologers may have used the second wheel for was to study transits, so that they would put use stones for the birth chart in the middle wheel, but then they would use other stones to show where the planets were in the sky for different transits. Yeah, that's really cool. That that's goes back so far. I still want one of those astrologers boards, even though most of my consultations are over Zoom, but I would do them in person for that if I got yeah, an yeah. astrologers board. Yeah, I'm working on it. That's one of my, one of these days, that'll be a YouTube video at some point when I get that together. Mm -hmm. All right. So basically, long story short, animating the chart in Solar Fire or Astro Gold or any of the other programs that do that because it's 
becoming a pretty standard thing that you can do in most software programs and even some websites at some point. It basically just speeds up and it makes the process more precise of what you're doing when you use an ephemeris. So mm-hmm. both methods are equally useful. Um, it's good to learn how to do both, but ultimately most astrologers will end up just using the software to speed it up and to make it more precise. Right. And in case it's not clear um, why that would be more precise, the ephemeris is very useful for seeing the motion over time. But um, uh, as Chris said, um, it's set for noon, for instance, the one that we have. So it's not showing, especially the quicker moving transits like the moon, where they are precisely like at a certain moment, moment in time. It's just a snapshot once each day. So, you know, it's good for some things, and then the precision of the exact moment is, you know, good in software or websites like that. Yeah, because the ephemeris will just show you where the planet was either at the start of the day, if you're using a midnight ephemeris, or at the middle of the day, if you're using a noon ephemeris. Mm -hmm. So, it'll tell you basically where it was at the beginning of that day. And then you'll have to look, you'll have to jump 24 hours to the next day to see where it was at the start of the following day. So it doesn't mm-hmm. show you the in-between, whereas in an ephemeris, whereas a software program, you know, you can animate it by hours or minutes in order to see exactly when certain transits will occur. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So speaking of that, that's actually another really good thing to use that I always recommend that people start with and use regularly when they're first learning transits, um, which is the uh, personal daily horoscope that astro.com has. Mm. So if you go to astro.com, you go to, uh, I believe it's their daily horoscope, which they sometimes call their personal daily horoscope once you enter your birth data it's going to actually tell you um, which transits are going exact during the course of that day. It'll highlight one specific transit and it'll tell you when that goes exact. For example, it says that transiting Venus is sextile my natal Chiron in my birth chart exact at 11.37 a.m. today on Mm -hmm. August 17th, 2022. And then below that, it says other transits occurring today, Mercury trine Mars exact at 2.03 a.m. Moon opposition Pluto exact at 0.48, so 12.48 a.m. Moon trine Jupiter exact at 13.15, so that's 1.15 p.m. Or moon opposition Saturn exact at 2.27 p.m. So it shows all of those short-term transits. It also tells you about some long-term outer planet transits that are happening just below that, such as Uranus opposite Saturn, Chiron trine Venus, Jupiter sextile Chiron, etc. So this is super, super useful because it'll tell you, basically it'll calculate all those transits for you. You can also click on them, especially if you pay for their um, extended daily horoscope I think there's some days, like Thursdays, it gives it to you for free, but you can click mm-hmm. on each one and it'll give you actually an interpretation of that transit, um, usually from Rob Hand's book, Planets in Transit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I also really recommend um, using this, especially early on. I definitely, um, I paid for the extended version early on and it just gives you a really nice snapshot of the transits. It gets you used to looking at what transits are going on at s- certain times. And um, even now, you know, every I don't watch it nearly as often in astro.com um, these days, but even 
occasionally I will, I'll look and I'm like, oh, right, I forgot about that transit that that's happening right now. So it's actually really useful whether you're a beginner or otherwise, although definitely for beginners, it's useful. Yeah, because sometimes when you're just trying to eyeball what your transits are on a given day using an ephemeris or and based on your memory of your birth chart placements, or if you're trying to eyeball it even with a bi-wheel, um, you may overlook some. So mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why sometimes programs like this or, or websites like this that'll calculate and give you a list of what transits are close by or are occurring that day can be super useful because there may be some that you, you overlook. Exactly. All right, we're taking a little bit of a break. I did want to mention um, really quickly uh, the Patreon for the Astrology Podcast. So this is a long, basically, workshop that we're doing that we're putting out there for free on transits. And if this was in the past, like 10 years ago or what have you, this would literally be like a workshop that people would probably fly out to a conference and spend an entire day going through with us or even potentially like a weekend or something like that. Um, because, but because of how things are set up with the podcast, what I do with the podcast is I record these free lectures and workshops and teachings on astrology and put them out there for free. And the way that I'm able to do that is a bunch of listeners and supporters have actually signed up for my page on Patreon where they voluntarily donate like a dollar or four dollars or ten dollars or whatever each month in order to help me to keep doing this work and in order to help me to pay for editing and some of the other things that that I need to do in order to produce these episodes. So if you're enjoying this content on my channel, um, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. And in exchange for becoming a patron, you'll actually get access to different bonuses, like early access to new episodes, the ability to attend live recordings of different episodes, uh, a monthly auspicious elections report that Lisa and I do where we tell you uh, the four most lucky dates in the coming month. We also have exclusive episodes that are only available for certain patrons, and there's even an option to get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. So those are some of the benefits, and there's a number of others. So if you'd like to support this work, if you enjoy this episode and you want to kick kick me, kick us a few dollars, then consider going to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. All right, so let's go ahead and resume where we left off. And now we're going to move into a section talking about sign-based sign -based versus degree-based transits. So basically, transits are measured both by sign as well as by degree. And this is primarily a spatial distinction, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So for instance, um, when the sun, which takes a month to go through a sign, and then approximately a year to go all the way around the zodiac, when, for instance, it comes back to um, the sign where your son was when you were born, that's a recurrence of the transit by sign. Now, we could celebrate our birthdays all month, but typically we celebrate it on one day, which is when the transiting sun comes back to the exact degree of um, where our natal sun was when we were born. And so that's one specific degree out of 30 degrees of each sign. Yeah, so to give a demonstration of the most important birth chart to go back to my birth chart i think <laughs> you're so freely uh, sharing your birth chart <laughs> i think we all agree the most important birth chart so i'm going to animate the chart in a bi-wheel again for those listening to the audio version visually we see my chart on the inside 
Up at the top of the chart, we see the sign Scorpio is my 10th whole sign house, and that we see my sun is at 9 degrees of Scorpio. So I'm going to animate the chart, and we see the sun on the outer wheel in the on the right top side of the chart. It's at like 20 something, 25. Uh, it's at 24 Leo today, but I'm going to move it forward. I'm going to move the sun forward at an increment of one day every time I make a click, basically, and we see the, that the sun moves forward at about one degree each day over the course of a year. So it's pretty regular, pretty reliable. That means that the sun takes about one month to move through each of the signs of the zodiac. Mm -hmm. So what we'll see as I keep moving it is that eventually, later in October, the sun is moving through the sign of Libra, and then it will ingress or move into the sign of Scorpio at about October 23rd this year. So the calendar date or calendar month of October 23rd at about 4 o'clock in the morning, we see the sun move from 29 degrees of Libra into uh, 0 degrees of Scorpio. So that means the sun, by sign, has returned back to where the sun was when I was born in the sign of Scorpio. So we would say that that's a, a sign-based transit of the sun coming back to my natal sign, or a sign-based conjunction, since a conjunction is either when a planet is on the same degree or on the same occupies the same sign. Mm -hmm. So as a sign-based transit, the sun is going to be in the sign of Scorpio, and therefore I'm going to be experiencing that transit of the sun returning back to its natal sign all the way from October 23rd um, until about a month later. So the sun will move through the sign of Scorpio during the course of the month, and then eventually it'll leave Scorpio around November 21st, November 22nd, when it moves into Sagittarius. So the entirety of this transit of Sun going through Scorpio then would be a sign-based conjunction of the Sun. However, there's also an exact degree-based conjunction when the transiting Sun returns back to exactly 9 degrees and 36 minutes of Scorpio, that's when the Sun returns back to the exact degree of my natal Sun's position, and that would be the exact degree-based transit of transiting sun conjunct my natal sun, which we also know as basically the moment of the solar return, or in more generic language we know of as the day of a person's birthday. So a person's birthday is literally usually when the transiting sun returns back to where the natal sun was on the day of a person's birth or pretty close to it. So that's one of the funny things about transits is that even in normal society, when we we're, for people that don't even have any real conception or understanding of astrology or of transits, we actually use transits, you know, anyways in our normal life. When we talk about things like birthdays, which is simply a transit of the sun coming back to where it was when you were born. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and while you'll sometimes hear, for instance, people say, oh, it's your birthday season, like if it's the same month that you were born or the same sign in which um, your son was when you were born, you only have one actual birthday day. 
Now, you know, just to make the specific distinction, sometimes because the astrology, um, since we celebrate birthdays on the exact date that we were born, sometimes the sun uh, return, the transiting sun returns to the natal sun either slightly before or slightly after astrologically. So occasionally your solar return can be like the day before or the day after, but that's, that's essentially what we're celebrating nonetheless. Right. So, um, yeah, so that's really important in terms of just tracking transits and, um, both of them are important because for example, when it's like Scorpio season and the sun is moving through that sign, there is something very specific about the quality of that part of the year for you when your sun moves back through the sign that it is when you were born. Mm -hmm. And that's like generically sort of like a conjunction of the sun with your sun by sign. Mm -hmm. But then there's something that's more intense and more acute about experiencing your actual birthday. And there's something that does feel special about that and like a little bit more um, pointed or more intense in terms of experiencing that exact transit on the day that you were born when the sun comes back to the exact degree that it was mm -hmm. in at, at the moment of your birth, essentially. Yeah, exactly. So both of them are important, the sign-based transits and the degree-based transits. They just typically become uh, more intensified when they get exact by degree or close by degree. Yeah. So that's one of the things that we really emphasize and and like to distinguish is that you need to pay attention to both sign-based transits as well as degree-based transits, but that degree-based transits will be more intense, oftentimes more important than the sign-based transit, but there can still be a quality of things being activated even when you're talking about sign-based transits. So it's important not to overlook those. This is mm -hmm. something that that I've really tried to revive, that we've tried to revive from ancient astrology uh, because in modern astrology, most transit theory is almost entirely degree-based, mm -hmm. which makes a little bit of sense in the sense that um, that that tends to be the, when the most important event happens is around the time of an exact degree-based transit, not just of a conjunction, but also of other aspects like the trine or the square or the opposition or what have you. Um, the exact transit is usually very close to uh, the the most obvious manifestation of an event. But um, in reality, in ancient astrology, they would also pay attention to the whole sequence of events starting and ending when this planet first ingresses into the sign, and then the whole sequence of events ending when the planet departs from that sign. Um, mm -hmm. And when looked at within that broader context, you can actually see much more about the circumstances surrounding things than if you're only paying attention to the exact degree-based transit. Exactly. So we use both in that way. So looking considering a transit as the transit through the entire sign, but that just that it becomes more intensified as it goes more exact by degree. And different astrologers kind of think about that differently. That's why you'll hear, for instance, some people talk about like, oh, what orb do you use for transits and things like that? They're basically saying, um, how close does it need to be by degree for you to think it matters? And so our particular approach is counting it both by sign and by degree. Yeah, so... To give an example of that, um, when you're talking about like the Saturn return, for example, the Saturn return is when Saturn comes back to where it was when you were born, which mm -hmm. the, the first Saturn return occurs between the ages of 27 and 30, roughly. 
So let's imagine that somebody was born with Saturn at right in the middle of the sign Libra. So let's say about 15 degrees of Libra in their birth chart. Um, we would say that the Saturn return, roughly speaking, begins as soon as transiting Saturn comes back to and moves into the sign of Libra. So it comes back to the sign where you were born. That's mm -hmm. the beginning of the transit. Then at some point, when Saturn gets to about 15 degrees of Libra, you have the exact Saturn return, and that's like the most acute part or the most intense part of that transit where the most important events will probably take place. Um, but then the, the transit itself is not fully over until Saturn departs from Libra, which doesn't occur, you know, it takes like three years for that entire transit, whereas um, the exact degree-based transit may be much shorter, much briefer in duration, or may only happen like two or three times, you know, one, one time or three times over the course of like a year. Exactly. So that's an example of how we think about transits. It's basically the entirety from the first time that the planet enters that sign until the last time it leaves that sign, which is important to state that way because sometimes it'll retrograde back and forth um, between two signs. Um, and then it will become the most exact when it's by degree, returning by degree, which means either, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the more important events may happen at that time, um, and or you may just feel qualitatively the, um, the, the specific qualities of that planet's transit most acutely at that time. Yeah, for sure. So um, there's some programs like Archetypal Explorer that I really like that depict some of these transits at, on like a graph and it shows you when the exact transit is occurring, but it also gives you um, kind of like a range where it's still in effect. So for example, here's to my chart, this is like a transit timeline from archetypalexplorer.com where it shows on a graph, for example, the Saturn conjunct moon transit that I'm having right now since my moon is at 24 Aquarius and Saturn right now is at like 22 Aquarius. So it shows that transit going exact already, having gone exact in early July, and then it's starting to move away because Saturn is moving away from that exact degree. So the graph starts dipping or going downwards, but we can see that it's still in effect in August because it's still within like a few degrees of exact. Or mm -hmm. there's other transits there like Uranus opposite Saturn, which it shows two peaks of because there were two exact hits. Um, during the course of 2022, but it remained very close within just a few degrees during the entirety of the year. So the transit graph never really fully drops off because the transit's remaining very close so that it's it's almost constant as a background transit in some sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually really like this depiction visually, and I'm not even a particularly visually oriented person, but I like that in particular, how it shows that multiple influences are still happening. And then it does show when they become exact, but it also shows that they don't disappear when they're past exact. Kind of shows like how much they're still in the picture um, and for how long. So yeah, it's a really nice um, visual depiction of your transits. Yeah, and the other thing is that it shows, like you said, even though we're trying to talk about, we're trying to simplify things by talking about individual transits in isolation, in reality, like you're, you're always having a lot of different transits at different points. Mm -hmm. this, this is just showing outer planet transits, like major outer planet transits that I have going on right now. But even with that, we can already see what one, two, three, four 
different outer planet transits that are major outer planet transits that I'm experiencing during the course of this year, and that mm-hmm. some of them are like overlapping or going exact, very close together at different points in time, like Saturn conjunct Moon, Saturn square Mercury, Uranus opposite Saturn, Saturn square Saturn, and so on and so forth. So all of those are indicating different things about different parts of my life, but the overlap of them is showing that sometimes there's like multiple important things that are happening in your life at the same time or or roughly around the same time, which then very much fits in with our human experience and makes sense of our human experience, which is that it's very rarely ever just like one thing that's happening, but sometimes, especially during an important nexus of time in your life, there can be like five different things that are super important that all happen at once. And part of the reason for that is that sometimes you have these major transits that will overlap at the same time. Mm -hmm, Right. Um, So I really like that visual depiction. And also similarly to the astro.com transit reports, um, it will kind of remind you of like, oh, I forgot I was having, I was still having that transit that it hasn't gone away. You may be more focused personally on like one or two and they're like, oh, there's a third one still hanging out there. Right. For sure. Um, And so that was outer planets, but then you can also display inner planets that happen much more quickly and much more frequently, those inner planet transits. So this one's showing transits of the inner planets, um, Mercury, Venus, and Mars to natal planets in my chart. And some of those are spread out, like it shows um, around Monday the 15th that transiting Mercury sextiled my Saturn exactly, and then a few days later around the 17th, which is today, transiting Mercury trine my Mars. And so those are like separate discrete transits that are spread out by a few days. But then later on, we can see some interplanet transits that are happening on the same day, like on the 19th, that transiting Venus will square my natal Sun, and that transiting Mercury will sextile my Mercury on the same day. Mm-hmm. So that's actually an interesting thing because sometimes that can really help you when you start seeing in the future a bunch of transits overlapping all around the same time period that can clue you in to there's, that there's an important turning point in your life that's coming up at that time. Mm-hmm. And when you start seeing a lot of transit activity in a person's chart, that's when you know something important is coming up. Right, exactly. So while we may be thinking about them one at a time, um, yeah, when more of them coalesce, it tends to be a more active period, whatever is going on for you. Right. So, and of course, the thing that gets a little tricky about that is um, if you really study everything pretty closely, if you start putting in all of the planetary transits, you start realizing um, that there, there's kind of a lot of things going on at the same time. So here's, you know, a few month time frame for me, just showing outer planet transits. But if I from Saturn, like Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. But if I start adding in other planets like Jupiter, all of a sudden we get another line that's thrown in there. If we add mm-hmm. Mars, we see a bunch of little transit lines of like Mars making exact transits over the course of the month. If we Mm -hmm. add in Venus, then we get a bunch of other little lines. And yeah, basically it starts getting really complicated if you add in all of the planets. Um, And that at some point 
we'll have to talk about and deal with is a little one of the complications of transits is that it can get kind of complicated and kind of hard to deal with the amount of data that you have to process at some points and also sorting through and determining which transits are going to be more important and which ones are going to be less important. Um, but initially, at least, you should be aware of that there can be a lot of transits going on sometimes versus there can be other times when there's not as many transits going on. Agreed. Yeah. All right. So that is sign-based versus degree-based transits. Um, and that is that. We'll come back to some of that later, I think, with some demonstrations. The next thing we need to talk about is the length of transits, which is that some transits are really brief and others have a longer duration. So that's something that we demonstrated already a little bit there in the Archetypal Explorer graph, which just shows them gra graphed, and it can show how some inner planet transits are really quick and some outer planet transits are really slow. Mm -hmm. But it's something that's worth um, emphasizing that different planets have different orbital speeds and will move through the signs of the zodiac at different times. So this is a diagram that Stella Graphia made for me from Reddit that just shows a natal chart on the inside wheel, and then it shows where the different planets will move, how far through the signs they'll move during the course of one year, and how some of the inner planets like the Sun and Moon and Mercury and Venus during the course of a year will go all the way around the zodiac by the end of the year, whereas there's other slower moving planets like Mars, for example, that will only get, let's say, in this instance, about a third of the way through the zodiac. It'll go through a third of the signs of the zodiac during the course of a year. Or Jupiter, which will only go through about one sign of the zodiac over the course of a year. Or Saturn, which will only go through maybe like a third of the zodiac during a third of a zodiacal sign during the course of a year. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, there's a pretty big disparity in how long the transits last, um, how long they're in influence for ranging from the beginning of the moon, which is um, only in a sign from two and a half to three days um, until it moves to the next sign, all the way out to Pluto transits, which can be anywhere from like 12 to 31 years in a sign. Um, so there's pretty big differences in terms of how long the planets will be hanging around one area of your chart um, or um, even a natal planet um, at, a at certain times. Yeah. And this is something that I try to illustrate sometimes. For example, in the monthly forecast episodes, one of the images that Paula Bellomini illustrates for me is a planetary movements calendar, which shows where each of the planets start at the beginning of the month and where they end up by the end of the month. So it just mm -hmm. shows you like what signs of the zodiac they're going through. And this is helpful as a visualization once you know transits, because then you know what sectors of your chart or what houses the transits are passing through um, during the course of that month. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so it's good to get a sense of how long these last, because for instance, if you say, oh, the moon is in a certain sign, um, that's not groundbreaking. You, you may have small effects from that, particularly if it goes over a natal planet in your chart, but it's, it's not groundbreaking because it moves so quickly. It will be in the next sign within about two and a half days versus say you have one of the outer planets hanging around like a natal placement that could be there for several years, even close to, you know, going back and forth close to the same degree. So um, that's really important to keep in mind because they have different levels of impact, you know, um, because of that. 
Yeah. So generally, generally speaking, all other things considered, slower moving outer planets t- tend to have more impact than faster moving interplanet transits. Right. Um, partially due to frequency and partially due to just the length of time that you experience an outer planet transit compared to an inner planet transit. Mm-hmm. So there, there can be some exceptions to that and some caveats to that rule, like when inner planets station retrograde, that can really elongate those transits. Mm-hmm. And there's other um, timing techniques known as like time lord techniques that can help to identify when certain planets are going to be more important than others. And sometimes with those techniques, it can tell you that a certain inner planet transit is going to be way more important than it normally would be. Mm-hmm. But that being said, all other things aside, outer planet transits tend to be um longer lasting and more impactful than interplanet transits. Right, exactly. All right. So again, I also wanted to show an animation. So a couple of years ago in August of 2020, this was an animation that Hugh Tran made of the planetary movements calendar that Paula and I put together. And it just shows where the planets will start at the beginning of the month. And then it actually animates them and moves the planets through the signs of the zodiac. So you can actually see their movement over the course of a month. So this is August of 2020 that we are animating this for. And you can just see how the inner planets, they tend to move through the signs over the course of the month um, relatively rapidly, whereas the outer planets, for the most part, are just staying pretty stationary in terms of the sign of the zodiac that they started in versus the sign of the zodiac that they end the month in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really nice animation. Gives you a visual depiction of what's actually going on there. So you can see some of them are just not moving much at all. Some of them, especially you can see the moon most rapidly moving around and then the other ones uh, somewhat slowly but moving after that. Yeah. All right, so that's pretty good when it comes to length. Um, I did mention retrogrades, which is that mm-hmm. when planets can slow down, uh, change direction, and start moving backwards. And this can sometimes cause like an interplanet transit. Normally, uh, for example, transiting Mercury, it will usually like pass over and conjoin a natal planet in your chart very quickly over the course of a day. So it's a very brief transit. But if transiting Mercury um, does that if it conjoins one of your natal planets, but then shortly after that, Mercury can slow down and station retrograde and then do a U turn, at which point it'll come backwards and it will back up or walk over and conjoin that natal planet in your chart a second time. And mm-hmm. then eventually Mercury will slow down and station direct and then it will go over that planet a third time. So for that reason, retrogrades can be really important because they can elongate and intensify uh, transits that otherwise might have been shorter in duration. Right. And sometimes that can be pretty dramatically so. Like, for instance, as we're recording today, in three days, Mars is going to go into Gemini by transit, um, but it's going to have an upcoming retrograde. And because of that, while uh, Mars normally takes about six weeks to transit through each sign, Um, It will instead be in Gemini for seven months, which is quite a big difference than usual. So that's what those retrogrades can do. They can really elongate those transits either by sign or by degree, depending on where they're hitting specifically in your chart. Same thing with Venus retrogrades and Mercury retrogrades. The um, planets further out, like Jupiter and outward, those do go retrograde, but they're retrograde for so long that 
it kind of is just part of their natural rhythm um, versus, say, like a Venus retrograde or a Mars retrograde really changes the length of time that it's in a certain sign. Yeah, for sure. Although even outer planet stations, if an outer planet stations very close within a degree of a natal planet in your chart of an aspect, an exact aspect with a natal planet, then mm -hmm. that's going to tend to be, those stations will tend to be important, like a, right. putting an, an exclamation mark next to the transit. Right, exactly. And stations are simply when, from the vantage point of Earth, it looks like the planet is slowing down to change direction, either forward or backward. So that's what it means when a planet stations. And it's kind of like just temporarily sitting in one spot longer than usual. And that's why you have an uh, extra emphasis on that energy, both in general and especially so if it's actually in close aspect to um, something by degree in your chart when it does that. Right. So here's an illustration that Stella made for me of the upcoming Mars retrograde transit, nice. um, where Mars is going to be retrograde in the sign of Gemini from October 30th through January 2nd. And so we can see that it's going to station retrograde at 25 degrees of Gemini, and then it's going to retrograde back and station direct at 8 degrees of Gemini. So that's going to highlight that range of degrees from about 8 Gemini to about 25 Gemini, because anybody that has natal planets either in that range of degrees in Gemini from 8 to 25, or anywhere in one of the other uh, seven signs that make an aspect, an exact aspect of a sextile, square, trine, or opposition in the same set of degrees and the other signs um, that aspect to that degree range, those are going to get activated by that Mars retrograde three different times. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then that's especially so if you actually have a planet at eight degrees of one of those signs or 25 degrees of one of those signs, and even more so if those are actually eight degrees or 25 degrees of Gemini itself, because then you get an actual station by conjunction uh, on a placement in your chart. Right. And so that's yeah. part of how you know, like if the retrograde is going to be particularly important for you compared to some other retrogrades. Yeah. So that's true of Mars retrogrades, that's true of Mercury retrogrades, and that's actually the reason why some Mercury retrogrades are more important than others for people, and they mm -hmm. fit <clears throat> more of that classic Mercury retrograde symbolism, is it tends to be when you have a natal planet that's closely um, aspected by that retrograde, that's when you'll tend to experience it uh, a bit more acutely compared to other Mercury retrogrades. Absolutely. So, for example, this is one that Stella illustrated from where Mercury went retrograde in Aquarius, and then it retrograded back into Capricorn between January 14th and February 3rd, um, and it went retrograde at 10 degrees of Aquarius, and then it stationed direct at 24 Capricorn. So it was activating that range of degrees in those two signs, as well as the same range of degrees in seven other pairs of signs based on the other aspects. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you're just getting used to looking at transits, that's why, for instance, they don't always keep moving at the same motion through the ephemeris, like we were talking about earlier. Um, because of the occasional retrogrades, um, they can move between two signs sometimes, depending on what degree in the first sign they go retrograde at. Right. Yeah, so that's a good reason why it's really important to get an ephemeris or start working with the animate feature in a software program in order to really start to learn how some of these different planetary cycles work, because that very becomes very crucial as a, as a basic foundation for understanding transits. Right, right. 
Um, it is also important to note at this point that the sun and the moon are the only placements that do not go retrograde by transit. Right. All of the other planets do go retrograde at some point uh, with different frequency, like Mercury goes retrograde three times a year, um, but the sun and moon uh, do not ever turn retrograde. Those are the only two right. celestial bodies that we use in astrology in terms of the planets, at least, that don't. Yeah. All right, so let's move into the next section where I wanted to talk a little bit about degree-based transits and orbs. So returning back to the sign-based versus degree-based distinction, astrologers generally agree that the experience of a transit is the most acute when the transit reaches the exact degree that it was in in the birth chart. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, when Saturn returns back to not just the exact sign, but the exact degree of the birth chart, somewhere around age 28 or so. Um, however, there's some disagreement or there's some ambiguity over when exactly a transit begins and what orbs to use, which are the different ranges of that astrologers use for when an aspect or when a transit becomes operative. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it goes back to the ambiguity of orbs. In our approach, as we said earlier, a transit begins when it becomes configured to a natal planet by sign, um, but then it grows more intense the closer it gets to an exact aspect by degree. So, generally speaking, um, when a planet is within one degree of an exact transit, that tends to be the most potent time in that transit. But even once it's getting within like two to three degrees, things can still be really operative or really intense. But that one degree range does seem to be the peak of intensity when it's either one degree on either side, either applying or separating. Definitely. And while we do pay most attention to first the sign and then the degree, because we do pay attention to close aspects by degree, um, that can occasionally cross the sign boundary. So mostly we're looking at transits through a single sign, and then when it gets the most exact within a, a few degrees, and especially one degree of the actual natal placement. However, say something is transiting at the very, very end of one sign, um, if you have a placement, say in the first degree of the next sign, you that will probably still be something that you start to feel because it's close by degree. So we're using both of those. Yeah, especially if it's within three degrees, even if it's across a sign boundary. Right. Um, and sometimes for certain outer planet transits, that range can even be a little bit wider. Yeah, definitely. So this is one of the reasons why we like Archetypal Explorer again, because it plots the transits on a graph. Um, for other programs like Astro.com, it tends to focus on and tell you what the operative range is based on with, when it's within one degree of orb. So it's going to give you a wider range of when that's operative for uh, uh, like a more narrow range when it's an inner planet where it's going to be within a degree pretty quickly and then it's going to move out of that. Whereas for other outer planet transits, um, it's going to be within that one degree range over a, a longer period of time. So it's going to give you a wider window of when it's operative. Right, since they move so slowly, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's other astrologers that use different transit ranges, especially for outer planets. Like, um, I think Richard Tarnas uses orbs that are like 15 degrees for conjunctions and 10 degrees for squares. Mm -hmm. Um there's a lot of debate and differences of opinion. Different astrologers use different orbs, but for the most part, 
generally speaking, I think if you just adopt the view that the transit begins when it goes into a sign in which it's configured, but then it gets more intense the closer it gets by degree, that you can't really go wrong with that because it's sort of it doesn't completely sidestep the issue of orbs, but it makes the ambiguity of orbs in the tradition make more sense because you realize that it's it's a much wider range than people sometimes realize. Right, yeah. And it sidesteps a little bit because it also says it's actually important that, that it's entered the sign um, where you have a natal placement, regardless of where in the sign. Right, yeah, exactly. All right, so... Um, aspects. So we've mentioned aspects a few times. We did want to clarify that we use the five major aspects for transits, which mm-hmm. are the conjunction, sextile, square, trine, and opposition, which right. are respect- respectively by degree at zero degrees is the conjunction, 60 degrees is the sextile, 90 is the square, 120 is the trine, and 180 is the opposition. Right. So um, by sign, that would be, for instance, two planets in the same sign would be the conjunction. Three signs apart um, would be the sextile. Four signs apart would be the square. Five signs apart is the trine. And seven signs apart is the opposition. Right. So some astrologers incorporate the use of minor aspects like the inconjunct or the semi-sextile or quintiles or other things like that. But for our purposes, we're going to focus on just the major aspects here because that's all we use in our approach. Mm -hmm. Um, But you should be aware that there's other astrologers that sometimes use other aspects for transits or incorporate other aspects as well. Right, which you did do an episode about at some point. Yeah, the episode on minor aspects with Rick Levine. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's move into another section where we're going to start getting into the more technical stuff of interpretation and things like that now that we've gotten some of the basic technical stuff out of the way. And I want to start this section first by talking about the different types of transits. Um, So the first type of transit, or the first category, is a transiting planet making an aspect to a natal planet by sign. And then the second one within the same category is a transiting planet making a aspect to a natal plan- planet by degree. So that's basically everything we were just talking about here in that pre- previous section based on the five major aspects and the distinction between sign-based aspects and degree-based aspects. Right. So another, the third type of transit that I want to mention is when a transiting planet moves through a natal house, which, um, so for example, if transiting Saturn moves through the first house, or if transiting Jupiter moves through the 10th house, the entirety of that transit of that outer planet moving through that house is a specific transit of a sort Um, Just because you may be experiencing different events and circumstances in that area of your life based on that transit moving through that house for like the entirety of that transit. Right. And that's regardless of whether you have natal placements in that house or not. Of course, it is usually more impactful if you do. um, But even if you don't, the transit still matters that there's a certain transit going through a certain house of your chart because that's to say um, that's coinciding with a certain quality or combination of qualities um, during that time in this particular area of life, whatever that house represents. Yeah. And for those watching the video version, here's 
again, just the diagram that shows some of the basic significations, blending some ancient astrology and some modern astrology as applied to the 12 houses and what those different sectors of life mean and what mm -hmm. topics or areas of life might be activated when different planets transit through those sectors of your chart. Right. Right. So if you're just getting used to looking at transits or tracking your own transits, you know, there's a bunch of different things you can be looking at. And it's not only um, transits to your own natal placements. Those will be very important. Um, but transit at any, you know, at any given time, all of the planets are transiting some particular house in your chart, um, some, you know, bunch of different houses in your chart usually. Um, and so those are things to always watch, even if you don't have a natal placement there. Yeah, for sure. So I used, for example, that that example of Britney Spears. Um, you know, what a month or two ago, getting married when transiting Jupiter is moving through her seventh house, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Or we've used we used an example of you said you got fired once when transiting Saturn moved through your tenth house, right. but then. You know, the, we're talking about both of those as being discrete, specific events, mm -hmm. but there was actually like there was a buildup to both mm -hmm. of those events, right? Pro probably when Jupiter first moved into her seventh house, mm -hmm. um, or when Saturn first moved into your tenth house, and then there was a, a sort of a cascading sequence of events that occurred after that in the person's life that affected that area of the life mm -hmm. as the planet continued to move through that house. So that's one of the reasons why, especially for us using whole sign houses, we really pay attention to a transit lasting for the entire duration of moving through the sign because it's going to be activating the topics associated with that house for as long as it's transiting through that sign. Right. And so, you know, sometimes at, at different points, especially if it's a longer transit, like a Saturn transit where it's two and a half to three years through a sign, um, it can be, you can notice different facets of the qualities of that planet through that topical house. So for instance, I don't usually like to use my chart as an example, but since we were talking about the Saturn, you know, hitting the midheaven thing, that would be something like Saturn going into the 10th house and going, I'm pretty bored at my job. I don't really want to do this for the rest of my life. Kind of interested in astrology, um, doing that on the side. And gradually, um, you know, that, that being a process and uh, in that particular process that also led to me not being as engaged with work, which can be a Saturn uh, process through the 10th as well, because it's a withdrawal. You know, you're withdrawing your energies because you're concentrating them. That is a Saturn thing, oftentimes. And so, of course, then that led to me getting fired for the only time in my life. Um, but then the follow through of that was, you know, then as it receded as a transit, that led to like, what am I going to do next? You know, and down the road, gradually in step-by-step -step fashion, that led to me actually going towards being self-employed with astrology. But, you know, that was just a part of the process. So you can see different stages kind of as that transit goes, especially if it's a longer one. Say like Saturn on out, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, all of those are longer transits. Jupiter's still a year, um, but it's no longer than a year. Yeah. So that's really important because basically... While transits can sometimes, as we said, be discrete singular events, they're oftentimes also describing a sequence of events that extend over a longer period of time. Sometimes for you know Jupiter transits an entire year, for Saturn transits it can be two to three years, mm -hmm. uh, or what what have you. And it's important mm -hmm. to be 
open to and be aware of both types, both scenarios, because okay. otherwise it could be easy to overlook something if you're trying to go back and study your past chronology and you're just looking for like singular events and whether a transit mm -hmm. that was exact on a specific day exactly coincided with an event versus realizing that a Saturn transit may be related to an entire time range that lasts for two to three years. And right. then you know better what to look for in terms of were there major career obstacles or um, contractions that happened during that time frame. Right. And that goes back to one thing we were saying early on, which is, you know, something, some transit things can be external events, but sometimes they're also internal processes that can sometimes be linked to an eventual external event. So um, you have to kind of look for both, especially in the longer ones. Right. All right. So um, that's the third type of transit is just transiting planet and the entire period that it's moving through a natal house. Mm -hmm. um, the fourth type that I want to mention is when a transiting planet exactly aspects the exact degree of one of the four angles, mm -hmm. which are the degree of the ascendant, midheaven, descendant, or IC. So those are four very uh, powerful and very pivotal and very personal parts of the chart, the exact degrees of the angles. And for us, because we're using whole sign houses, those four degrees can kind of float around the chart, but roughly coincide with the first, tenth, seventh, and fourth houses. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when a planet hits those pivotal points, often things come to a head in some fashion with that transit, you know, depending on how pivotal the trans the particular transit is that we're looking at. But still, that's going to be a really sensitive point, just like if it was a transiting planet was reaching the degree of a natal planet in your chart. Um, it's equally important, and possibly even a little more so, when it hits the exact degree of an angle. Those are kind of the most prominent little points around the outside of the chart um, in the four directions. Yeah, so I had used the hypothetical hypothetical example before of a Taurus rising chart and somebody that has the midheaven around 10 degrees of Aquarius. Mm -hmm. So we would say the entire transit of Saturn in the 10th house of career would be as soon as Saturn moves into that sign and it would end once Saturn departed from that sign. But around the time frame when it hits the degree of the midheaven, that might be a really critical turning point for that transit or a most acute or intense part of that transit when it conjoins the MC exactly. Yeah, definitely. And it can be the most acute. It can also sometimes be more apt to have an outward event associated with it when it hits that degree versus just transiting through the house somewhere. Um, yeah, it's usually pivotal in some fashion and often external as well. Yeah, and then another thing that you have to also pay attention to or be aware of is that sometimes when you're using especially whole sign houses as we do, the degree of the midheaven doesn't always fall in the 10th whole sign house. Right. So what happens in those instances when the midheaven degree of the midheaven falls in a sign other than the 10th whole sign house is that the 10th sign still retains the primary meaning of 10th house significations of career and reputation overall life direction, mm -hmm. but the degree of the midheaven will import some of those 10th house significations into whatever other whole sign house that it falls in, right. and then it will, will double up with those significations. So, for example, mm -hmm. um, in my chart, the degree of the midheaven, I have Aquarius rising, Scorpio is the 10th whole sign house, 
And then the degree of the midheaven is at five degrees of Sagittarius. So it imports 10th house significations and doubles up or overlaps them with 11th house significations in Sagittarius. Mm -hmm. So what happens, for example, is that when, let's say, an outer planet like Saturn transits through Scorpio, it goes through my 10th house and it only activates 10th house topics for the two to three year duration of that transit. But then immediately after that, when Saturn moves into Sagittarius, it moves into my 11th house and it starts activating 11th house topics. But then when it conjoins the degree of my midheaven, it's also going to activate 10th house topics at the same time. Right. So you'll see a doubling up and there'll be a mixture of like, in this instance, career and friend significations since mm -hmm. 10th house is career, but 11th house is friends. Right. And the same thing for the IC, you know, it can float um, not just in the fourth whole sign house, but in whole sign house system can float to say the third or the fifth or occasionally further if it's a really extreme uh, geography where you were born. So um, in those cases, in terms of transits, that can mean an extension in some way of the time in which those topics are more, um, you know, more. there's more going on with those topics. So if the midheaven was, say, in the 10th whole sign house, then it would just be the transit of the 10th um, through which you would experience those career-related transits. But if it's the whole 10th, uh, 10th whole sign house, and then you have your midheaven slightly after that or slightly before it, just a bit of a longer transit that can still impact those um, particular topics. When, when what? Say that part again? So if the midheaven, for instance, or the IC, but say the midheaven is either in the ninth or in the 11th in whole sign house chart, then you still have the transit of a planet through the 10th whole sign house, which will be about career, but it will extend the time further that those topics uh, will be kind of at the forefront of your life in some way because it will additionally transit your midheaven either slightly before or slightly after the 10th house transit. Yeah, and that's a really crucial point that's super important for outer planet transits and that can sometimes confuse people when they're first learning whole sign houses or they're trying to compare whole sign houses versus quadrant houses like Placidus is that they'll see both working and they, they'll not be sure you know, to go with one or the other. Um, and it's because there can be this overlap, and especially with transits, it can extend the period in which you're getting similar significations based on um, the houses falling in slightly different places, but both still working in some way. Right. All right. So that is the fourth type of transit, which is transiting planets aspecting the exact degrees of angles, which is especially important for the conjunction, but also applies to the other aspects, the um, square, the trine, the opposition, and the sextile. Mm -hmm. So the next or the fifth type is when a transiting planet conjoins a transiting planet in a natal house. Um, I've seen this coincide with events and important turning points in a person's life. And it's more important if it's doing it around or in a close aspect to a natal planet in the person's chart. Mm -hmm. But sometimes even just two transiting planets meeting up and conjoining in a natal house in a person's chart can actually indicate something important about that house or that part of the person's life. Right, right. Because it's still activating that topic for the duration of the actual transit through that house. And so if there's more than one transit, 
happening at the same time in the same topical house, and then they can join in particular, um, it kind of like triggers something about that topic at that time. Yeah. So, for example, we recently around, I think, August 1st, we had a Mars-Uranus conjunction in the sign of Taurus. And I noticed for some people that Mars-Uranus conjunction activating um, that specific house in a very distinct way with the nature of that Mars-Uranus conjunction of something surprising mm -hmm. happening or something sometimes like upsetting or disruptive happening in that house of the chart at the time. Right. Yeah, definitely. So it combines two different transiting planet significations and brings them together kind of um, during that shorter period of time when they can join. Yeah, and whatever the nature of those two planets are and their whatever the nature is of their combined meeting or mixing together, the ancient mm -hmm. astrologers would call it like a blending together when two planets are coming together in the same sign, like you're mixing paint. Um, whatever the nature is of those two planets being combined um, is what will manifest archetypally in the area of life represented by the house. Right. All right, so technically lunations like new moons and full moons as well as eclipses fall under this category or under this rubric and that can sometimes be the most important instance of this type of transit of two planets meeting up in a specific house in a person's birth chart right. um, and and we've done two entire workshops at this point on transiting eclipses falling in the different houses in a person's chart in previous mm -hmm. episodes of the podcast, which I'll mention later when I'm going to mention other resources. Okay. Um, but that's an important one. And then also, sometimes there can be outer planet conjunctions, like a couple of years ago in 2020, at the very end of it, we had a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in the sign of Aquarius. So that mm -hmm. was a major outer planet alignment. Or earlier in 2020, there was a line, an alignment of a bunch of planets that lined up in Capricorn, um, mm -hmm. And that was a major conjunction that coincided with the beginning of the pandemic, for example. Um, mm -hmm. Like January of 2020 was a Saturn-Pluto conjunction. And then uh, March and April of 2020 was a Mars-Saturn conjunction in Capricorn and Aquarius. And for some people, that affected um, them in very particular ways that were represented by the houses that those planets aligned with in their chart. Yeah, definitely. So, so sometimes those are striking moments. Um, it's also important to note, even though we're focusing a little bit more right now on the actual transits themselves and not the whole cycle, um, but some of these transits, um, you know, they are related to an entire cycle. So for instance, the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction that you just mentioned, that's going to be like a longer entire cycle of those two planets meeting. Um, and that can be important in other ways. So this is just actually like one piece of it that you're looking at when when you're looking at the particular transit through a certain house. We're not really belaboring the rest of the cycle today, but um, you should know that that's also connected to larger cycles. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and then another type of transit, this is like the sixth type of transit at this point, is when a transiting planet stations retrograde or direct, which intensifies the exact aspect. Mm -hmm. So when a planet stations retrograde or direct, especially if it's very close to an exact aspect with a planet in your natal chart, that can be an intensification of that transit in addition to elongating it since the retrograde draws out a transit and makes it longer than it would otherwise be. Right. So that's essentially a degree-based transit, but intensified further. So it's hitting a certain degree in your chart, but then it's sitting there for a little longer than usual. 
Um, so it's making more of an impact um, with whatever the significations are of that planet um, and the uh, natal placement that it's hitting in your chart and the house it's transiting through. Those will all be a little louder at that time. Um, you'll feel them more strongly. Yeah. So, so basically, this last point just applies to any of the previous ones because a transiting planet, when it goes retrograde, it elongates any of the above transit types that we've talked about. Mm -hmm, definitely. Um, I'm trying to see if I have. I do have an illustration of. Um, this is the planetary movements for 2022. And it that Paula Bellomini made, and it shows where the planets start in the signs of the zodiac at the beginning of the year, and where they end up by the end of the year. And I wanted to mention it just because you can see when different planets go retrograde because they do a U-turn. They're they're moving forward in the zodiac at first, which is the normal motion of the planets that they go most of the time, which is in counterclockwise order. Um, starting with Aries, then through Taurus, then Gemini, then Cancer, so on and so forth. But occasionally what happens is if you watch them from sort of like a bird's eye view, what happens is that they slow down in the zodiac and they do a U-turn and then they start walking backwards against the order of the signs of the zodiac. They start going clockwise, mm -hmm. but then eventually they do another U-turn and they turn forward and start moving forward again in the nor normal order of the signs and the degrees. Right, right. And since they're going backward, it should maybe be mentioned just for a moment, that typically that, that often um, coincides with you going back over the territory you just traversed in that topic in your life, because it's literally walking back over the degrees that it already went through when it was direct. So it's typically like a review of something that you just did or you know some experience that you were just having. Yeah, it's a return back to something, it's revising something, it's revisiting something mm -hmm. that you thought was finished. Right. Um, so in Mercury retrogrades, it's famously things that can be frustrating like that where you do something. Um, like for example, I've famously like during Mercury retrogrades, I've talked about in the forecast of like gone out and bought a laptop at the beginning mm -hmm. of the retrograde. And then um, there's been something wrong or it breaks, and then I have to go back and return it, and I have to get a new laptop, but then that ends up opening up a whole sequence of events where things end up taking longer, and I have to go back and do things over again that I've already done because there mm -hmm. were errors along the way or there are things that needed to be corrected. But usually by the end of that transit, most of the time, or some of the time at least, you come out stronger because the second time you've had to do something, usually you do a better job of it the second and third time than you did the first time because you've had some experience with it going into it the second and third times. Mm -hmm. Or you may just change your mind about doing something or how you're going to go about doing something. So yeah, it's just some sort of revision to whatever you were doing the first time in that same area. Right. All right, so those are the different types of transits. Um, in terms of the interpretation of transits and different resources for understanding what transits actually mean, um, so once you know when a transit will happen and you've established all of the technical stuff that we've just been talking about for most of this, the next question obviously is how do you know what it will mean? How do you know what the specific transit will mean in your life? Mm -hmm. 
So there's a number of books and websites that write out interpretations for all possible transiting aspects or all transiting planet combinations. So the most famous one that's used by, I think, the majority of astrologers at this point in the world today is a book by an astrologer named Robert Hand, which is titled simply Planets in Transit. And this is just like the classic reference book that it's a very, it's like a thick book. It's a really big mm -hmm. book because he goes through systematically all of the major aspects and all of the planetary combinations, and he gives delineations or interpretations of every possible transit for the most part. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's something you could start with if you're first getting started in understanding what transits might even mean. It's like a good, good guidebook. Yeah, I mean, it was it was written in the mid nineteen seventies, and it became the standard book. It's like one of the top five books that every astrologer ha has in their bookshelves, or certainly was for a very long time. It's a little bit dated at this point, and even Robert Hand's approach to astrology has changed quite a bit in the past fifty years. So mm -hmm. he supposedly is in the process of writing or has written a revised version of that book that's supposed to come out at some point in the new near future, which we assume will. Um, replace or kind of supplant the old book. Um, but until that time, it's a good book to use just with the understanding that it's primarily like a modern, more psychological approach from the 1970s prior to the revival of ancient or traditional astrology. And so one of the things that'll be nice, hopefully once this new version comes out, is Robert Hand was one of the pioneers in helping to revive ancient astrology. So he's supposed to integrate some of that ancient astrology wisdom with some of the wisdom for modern astrology to create more of a synthesis, which is a little bit more typical of where astrology is at today in the in the 2020s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we're all looking forward to that. I, I heard that he was struggling with uh, requested cutting down the amount of pages, which I think any astrologer or writer of any sort struggles with if like a publisher is telling them to like cut down what they've already written. Mm, okay. Yeah, we'll see what happens. So another really good resource for transit interpretations is astro.com and their personal daily horoscope and their extended daily horoscope which we showed a little bit earlier where we showed how you can go to astro.com and pull up your personal daily horoscope and then it'll tell you not just which transits are going exact that day or which long-term transits you have that are active in your chart that are within a degree but if you click on them it'll also give you interpretations and those interpretations are actually drawn mostly from rob hand's book planets in transit right Right, so that's again another um, good way to start out in understanding what transits are actually happening in your chart, and then how to interpret them. Um, there is a little bit of a limitation in that you know it's going to highlight the ones that are closest to exact, and so it won't always you know tell you hey all these other transits are happening too, um, but it's still a great resource. It will tell you lots of them. Yeah, for sure. So you do have to. It will only give you interpretations for some of them, or I don't know if it's still the same, where it's like only on Tuesdays or Thursdays that you give it gives Thursdays, you interpret yeah. Thursdays that it gives mm -hmm. you interpretations for all of them that you can actually like click on, and then it gives you this delineation from Robert Hand. But if you buy their extended daily horoscope or extended personal horoscope, which is like a subscription, then it does allow you to go forward and backwards in time and to click the little calendar button and then jump forward to like any day and then it'll tell you what your transits are on that day and like what's going on. Right. right. So 
that was that's one of the more useful like paid upgrade subscriptions I think mm-hmm. that I can rec- recommend to most astrologers and then I still pay pay for myself to this day just because it's useful for tracking the transits and getting little interpretations to remind you what certain things are supposed to mean or just what one astrologer's perspective is on on how that transit could manifest right it'll t- also tell you really helpfully the times that they go exact um, and so that's really nice. If you're not still living in the place where you were born, there's um, you can click something that says speci- something like specify the reference place, um, and then you can put in like the reference place you want for the actual like exact timing of the transit going exact. So that's that's useful to know. Otherwise, it's going to give you the specific times they go exact in your birthplace. Yeah. So all you have to do is. Let me see if I can show this, but if you just go to the personal daily horoscope and then you scroll down to the bottom of it, there's a section that says time zone and reference place. So you click that to set your reference place for your current location. That way it'll give you all the transit times in your time zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also recommend setting it when you go there to what your preferred house system is, because it will default to Placidus. But like for example, for us, we want to use whole sign houses. And so they've recently integrated a way to do that when you also set the time zone and reference place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really um, like that. The other thing about the exact times is while it's good to know the exact times that a transit goes exact during the course of a day, um, for most of these, it's just like a rough it's not necessarily that the exact event is going to happen exactly at the time that that transit goes exact, Mm -hmm. especially for outer planet transits, because sometimes, for example, this has like transiting Mars opposite my midheaven on Monday, August 29th at exactly 2.13 p.m. But that transit is so slow moving that really it's going to be operative for the entirety of that day, at least, when it comes to Mm -hmm. that Mars transit, at least. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So the exact times sometimes things coincide, like right then. Um, typic- more typical of the inner planets, the more quickly moving planets, but not even all of the time those. Uh, I, I mean, so it's interesting to know the exact times to see if something does in fact happen right around that time, and sometimes it will. But it's not to say that, oh, the transit didn't do anything if, say, something happened later that day or earlier that day. It's still really, really close to exact. So that's something to keep in mind for sure. Yeah, or or with some transits, if they're moving really slow, the event can happen like the day before the exact the transit goes exact, the day after, what have you. Mm-hmm. You have to be aware of the orb issue and aware of like how fast the planets are actually moving. But at least when you have the exact times, you know when it's exact to not just the degree but also the minute, mm-hmm. and then you can kind of like approximate or extrapolate from there how much longer before or after that transit is still going to be active or still going to be very close to that same degree and minute. Right. Yeah, exactly. With the outer, outer planets, don't pin it down to like that exact time at all, because those are going to be hovering around the vicinity for a longer, much longer time. So I would say with the inner planets, you know, they they often do eventuate with something noticeable within the day. Um you know, some of those outer planets, the actual outer planets like Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, those can be there for, you know, a few years, very, very close to the placement. So it is interesting to watch when they do go very exactly, but exact for that can be more like, okay, it's exact within this few day or week range, you know, because it moves so slowly from that degree point. Yeah. So um, that's really crucial. 
Um, the other thing in terms of other resources besides astro.com, astro.com is just amazing. So everybody really early in their studies should take time to explore that site as fully as you can. Mm -hmm. And it's so vast that you'll never actually discover everything that's on astro.com because they're constantly expanding and adding new things. But you should look at it because it's largely very free and you can do so many different things on astro.com. It's actually amazing. Um, so you should you know, familiarize yourself with it as much as possible relatively early on. Mm -hmm, definitely. So besides that, um, other websites for transits that I use at the present time are archetypalexplorer.com. And when you pull up your transits in Archetypal Explorer, um, it actually, you can click on some of them. Like for example, if I hover over this transit of Saturn square Mercury, it highlights it. And when I click on it, Below that, it will generate um, some delineations, and it'll take some excerpts um, of interpretations of what that transit is supposed to mean. The first one is it'll give some interpretations from an unpublished book by the astrologer Richard Tarnas that's titled Notes on the Planetary Archetypes. And as far as I know, this is the only way to get access to those interpretations because the book hasn't been published yet at the present time. So he'll give you a general statement about it, and then he'll give you some positive qualities of that transit that are archetypal potentials and some negative or challenging ones, um, as well as some significations for each of those planets in general. So it's hugely useful for understanding the transit from that perspective. Um, and then on Archetypal Explorer, <clears throat> it also gives some interpretations from a second book titled The Archetypal Universe uh, by Ren Butler, who was, I think, a student of Richard Tarnas's, and it will similarly give some positives and some negatives, as well as different characters and themes and, and shadow qualities and other things like that. So um, it's super useful as an additional resource for interpretations for different types of transits. Yeah, that's really nice. I mean, while astro.com's um, extended daily horoscope is very useful, the interpretations are much shorter than those, at least in terms of like not having two resources and it being fairly lengthy. So it's more of just mm. like, a, this is what this means, what it could mean. And then, yeah, that gives a lot more options. Yeah, the only downside is that currently Archetypal Explorer, it's, one, it's a subscription service, so you have to pay for it. It's not mm. very expensive, but you can currently only save one piece of birth data, one chart in it. Mm -hmm. So you can really only do your own chart. Whereas one of the things that's really cool and really useful about astro.com is you can save, I think, up to like 100 charts for free on astro.com. Yeah. So you can look up not only your transits on a given day, but you can also look up the transits of other people whose charts you've saved. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's actually how you really advance and accelerate your studies of transits is by paying attention not to just what's going on in your life and what transits you're having, but also looking at what's happening in the lives of people around you when they have important events taking place and then looking up what transit is that they're having at that time. Right. So you can put in charts, for example, for your family members, for your partner, if you have a partner, for your friends, and then especially if they're physically around you a lot of the time, like if you live in the same place, um, you know, and are together more or less, you definitely can pay attention not just to actual events, but just to, you know, the general vibe, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, how do they seem that day? You know, do they seem more like agitated? Do they seem animated? Do they seem tired? You know, like, and that sounds really kind of vague, but honestly, it 
often does correlate, and that's a good way to start noticing how these transits can um, be expressed, even when they're not doing a one specific, um, you know, particular thing. Yeah. And that's super important because if like somebody gets in like a car crash or somebody gets married or starts a relationship or loses their job or whatever, that's really important data because <clears throat> you can also look at that with celebrities, of course, mm -hmm. but with celebrities, we usually only know their public life or we only know what's publicly available. Whereas if you're looking at the charts and the transits of people that you know that are close to you, you have greater access for potentially understanding um, the bus behind the scenes things that are happening in their life in addition to just some of the front facing things. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a huge distinction in terms of actually being able to observe what the transits are doing versus just like one occasional look uh, at what's going on in someone's life. So um, yeah, most people I know have started with, especially if they get software later, most people have started still with Astro.com in terms of saving up to 100 charts in a given account. I think you can save more if you, you pay. Is that right? Yeah, I, I got them. I got them to do that like years ago to like okay. add an add-on, so you can at least pay to expand it. Because mm -hmm. I know there was there were some astrologers that were like setting up multiple email accounts that were some, some uns unscrupulous astrologers <laughs> that I knew back in the right. day, right. named Lisa. <laughs> I'm not going to mention any last names, but that would uh, yeah set up multiple accounts. At that point, you probably should get software. But yeah, you can you can do at least a hundred in one account. So. You can start storing a lot of people you know, and that gives you a lot of wealth of data to kind of pay attention to in terms of like watching what the transits do. Right. Um, all right. So finally, you can search for other books on transits or other websites on transits. I'm sure there's others out there. I know there's a few others that we're not mentioning here, but mm -hmm. um, there's a bunch of different resources. The two resources or three resources we have mentioned at this point also will tend to skew, as I said, more towards modern psychological interpretations. Mm -hmm. So that's one drawback you should be aware of when you're studying your transits from places like astro.com is that it's going to tend to focus more on internal manifestations and, and like emotional states versus talking about concrete external events. Mm -hmm. So that's one shortcoming of some of the current transit interpretations. Um, but once you learn transits more and more yourself, and once you observe transits that have happened in your life, that's going to help you to learn more about what the concrete external manifestations of certain transits can be in terms of events. And then you can kind of add that to your own database in your head. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, beyond that, you know, once you start thinking a little bit more for yourself, as you learn about what the actual um, planetary significations are for each given planet, um, what the houses mean, and so forth. You can start combining those yourself, and you, you can start a little bit like thinking more for yourself in terms of transit interpretations as you better learn um, some of those significations on your own. Yeah, and sometimes you can discover new things about what certain planetary combinations or what certain houses mean based on an observation you made of, of a certain transit that happened in a person's life or in your life at a period of time that coincided with an exact event. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can you can discover new things or, or make unique observations that aren't in the astrology books up to this point. Mm -hmm. And that's actually how astrological research and the astrological tradition is constantly growing and evolving at just as the world continues to grow and evolve by astrologers continuing to 
pay attention to the correlation between celestial movements and earthly events, which is exactly how astrology got started, you know, thousands of years ago in Mesopotamia and Egypt and other areas of the world, where astrologers, for example, in Mesopotamia would observe like an alignment of the planets in the sky or some other celestial phenomenon like a, an eclipse or what have you, and then they would write down what the events were that occurred at the same time. Like if the king died or if there was a famine or something like that, they would write it on little clay tablets and then those eventually accumulated into libraries that kept being passed forward over the course of generations. And that's eventually how astrology got more complex and became this whole tradition that it is today. Yeah. And it is more ideal for you as you go on. You know, it's uh, when you first start out looking at transits, it is useful to use other people's interpretations. But as you go on and learn more yourself, it is more ideal to make your own observations because, yes, yeah, sometimes the specific things you notice are not in the books. And also, it's just better to go, you know, to build up your own knowledge of what you've actually seen in practice versus. What, other, what someone else has said that it's supposed to mean. I mean, at least I personally think that that's, you know, that's how you grow as an astrologer is just continuing to observe things over time more and more yourself. And then you can really, you can know that, you know, where the source comes from. This definitely happened. I watched it happen, etc. So, um, yeah, good building blocks and then just keep observing on your own and learning what those combinations mean. Yeah, and this is the real empirical part of astrology, and this is the part of astrology where it's not just all abstract, you know, hypothesizing or inferences or 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 interpreting things purely symbolically. But this is the part of astrology where it's probably almost the most um, down to earth and practical in terms of astrologers paying attention to the correlations, the repeated, sometimes. Uh, continual correlations between celestial movements and earthly events and like what actually happens when certain planetary alignments happen in the sky and what takes place in a person's life. And there's something really important about that as an empirical process um, of how astrologers do research and establish things. Um, and transits is probably one of the best keys to that because it has such a concrete, practical side to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. All right, so let's go into the next section where, in addition to those interpretation resources, we actually have a number of past episodes of the Astrology Podcast that would be really useful to help you broaden your understanding of transits and understand what specific transits will mean. So um, you should definitely do some of the past foundational episodes from the series that we did on the significations of the planets, as well as the different episodes we've done, done on the significations of the houses. So, for example, um, episode 231, which is titled Significations of the Twelve Houses, Part 1, Houses 1 through 6, as well as episode 233, titled Significations of the Twelve Houses, Part 2, Houses 7 through 12. So that's going to tell you all about what each of the houses mean in your chart, and then you can directly apply that in terms of when certain planets move through that sector of your chart, what that's going to mean and what sort of topics that's going to activate in your life. Right, right. And these are some other tools to kind of what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, um, start to build your own understanding and observations of what the transits are and go beyond kind of um, cookbooks, you know, um, that are already existing. Right. 
So there's that. There's also episode 64 titled The Significations of the Seven Traditional Planets, and that's going to tell you about what each of the seven planets mean, both in the natal chart, but also you can extend that to what those planets mean by transit. And more recently, over the past year, I did an entire series where we did one two-hour episode on each of the planets. So you can see the Astrology Podcast YouTube channel right on the homepage of that. You'll see a link to the planet series for each of those episodes. So aside from that, we've also done past episodes on transits, specifically on certain types of transits, as well as uh, in-depth workshops that we've done on some transits as well. So two ex there's there's been two episodes on eclipses or on transiting eclipses so far, which are episode 215, which is titled Interpreting Solar and Lunar Eclipses in Your Birth Chart, as well as more re recently episode 355 titled Transiting Eclipses in Astrology. And both of those are about um, how the topics of certain houses are activated when there's a solar or lunar eclipse in that sector of your chart. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have some Saturn Returns episodes, so Transiting Saturn. Um, episode 24, pretty early on, was Understanding Your Saturn Return. Um, that, that one's only on the podcast website, you said? Yeah, that one's not available on YouTube yet, although mm -hmm. I might be able to like re-release it. I know that was a super early episode that we did, episode 24, but people can find it on the podcast website by just Googling Understanding Your Saturn Return, or if you go to theastrologypodcast.com slash episodes, you'll see our full list of episodes and you can find where those episodes are available. There's also some other um, specific sign-based um, Saturn Return episodes. Episode 131 was Saturn Return in Sagittarius Retrospective, where we went over um, different people's charts, especially um, famous people's charts who had Saturn in Sagittarius and went over how that transit went for them, how the Saturn Return went for them. And also Capricorn, episode 283, Saturn Return and Capricorn Retrospective, similarly, looking at how that um, transit went for different people who had Saturn natally in Capricorn. Yeah, and even, those, even though those are primarily relevant for people that have Saturn in those specific signs of Sagittarius or Capricorn, or pretty soon here we're going to have to do one for Aquarius because they're almost finished with their Saturn return here early next year, in early 2023, but... Even if you don't have those placements, we would strongly rep recommend going back to check out those episodes because they're very excellent demonstrations that contain a ton of chart examples that show you how uh, Saturn returns are interpreted in practice. And that's actually a great template for understanding all transits because we show distinctions between like sign-based transit versus degree-based transits. And we also show the specific manifestations of how to interpret a transit when it's going through a specific house mm -hmm. or when it's activating the natal potential of a planet in a birth chart. Right. So it's kind of exploring how does that same transit go given all those different variables for different individual people and their charts. Um, yeah. So it is, is a good example of how to look at transits. Yeah. <clears throat> so the next one, I would check out episode 197, which is titled Uranus Transits Through the Twelve Houses. That was a one we did back when Uranus first went into Taurus, mm -hmm. but we used that as an instance in order to talk about different examples and take some examples from an audience during a live workshop where people shared their experiences of what it was like when Uranus transited through certain houses in their birth chart and the different types of topics and themes that came up during the course of that transit. Mm -hmm, right. So similarly, kind of make, makes it come alive a little bit more than just saying, oh, you know, put a, put together the signification of the planet in this house and 
that's kind of what it should mean. You can hear kind of more fully fleshed out um, how people actually had experiences um, corresponding to those transits. Yeah. And then finally, one last episode I would mention is episode 153, which is titled Annual Perfections, a Basic Time Lord Technique, which is a, a lecture that I did showing you how to use another timing technique known as annual perfections. But the reason why this technique is important is because it can allow you to um, more easily identify which transits are going to be more important in a given year of a person's life. Mm -hmm. And that can be super critical in terms of helping to narrow down which transits to pay more attention to versus which transits might be less important or less of a focal point in a given year. Right. So we were kind of mentioning earlier, especially when it was um, being visually depicted on the screen, how lots of different transits happen always at the same time, um, sometimes more than others clustering together. But there's always lots of different transits happening. And so can't really, you know, don't have the time to get into it here in this particular episode, but there are ways that you can narrow down. Not to say that the other transits will not be important, but some will be particularly focal uh, at certain times. Yeah, exactly. And so that technique, Annual Perfections, is something that I go into in a lot more detail in my book, which is titled Hellenistic Astrology, the Study of Fate and Fortune, um, which I would recommend checking out for learning how to do natal astrology and all of the basic, intermediate, and advanced techniques for interpreting a birth chart. But then it also goes into a couple of timing techniques, which are annual perfections and zodiac releasing. And then I also have a series of lectures in my online course on Hellenistic astrology at theastrologyschool.com. And I go into a whole nine-hour lecture on annual perfections, for example, in order to teach you how to use that technique in practice and how teach you with a bunch of example charts how to use it to narrow down the specific transits that are going to be more important to you. Mm -hmm. So I have both free offerings for those that are just getting started or can't afford it on the Astrology Podcast, but I also have some more advanced um, paid offerings available on my course site at theastrologyschool.com. So people that are ready can sort of go to that if they want to get more advanced stuff with a lot more like example charts than we've used, for example, in this lecture because we didn't want to make it 20 hours long. Right, exactly. And I also have a few one-off lectures that do involve transits or annual perfections or both um, on my website at lisashime.com. Awesome. Okay. All right. So now we are in the home stretch and we're in the final part of this workshop on transits. And so here at this point, um, I wanted to mention a number of miscellaneous points and final reflections on transits as we're sort of wrapping this up and bringing it to a close. Mm -hmm. So the first one is other techniques. So as you probably have guessed, unless this is like very early in your studies or this is like day one of your studies of astrology, although I, give, I guess we've mentioned it already, even if it is, transits are not the only timing technique. Mm -hmm. So it is one of the most ubiquitous techniques. It is one of the most straightforward and one of the most powerful and important timing techniques. However, it's not the only timing technique that there is. No, it's a pretty good and easy one to learn first. I would say most people learn it first as their first timing technique, and it remains important, you know, even when you learn other ones. But there are other timing techniques. We were just talking briefly about annual perfections, for instance, which can help you narrow down which transits are the most important and impactful and which ones to watch um, more closely in a given year. There's also other separate timing techniques, things like secondary progressions or um, zodiacal releasing, 
And those operate relatively independently, so you can look at them and also look at transits um, as separate timing techniques. Yeah, so some of these techniques work together, like annual perfections and transits, and perfections helps you to enhance some of the information from transits. Mm-hmm. Other planet, other uh, timing techniques work somewhat independently, and they might give you different information or tell you different things than transits do. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes this can be really useful because ultimately what you want to be able to do sometimes is have a few different timing techniques that you use because sometimes what will happen is you'll see overlapping periods of importance and overlapping indications that are pointing to specific periods of time or specific moments in a person's life that are going to be important. And oftentimes it's by comparing and seeing overlapping indications indicating the same thing that you can more reliably predict what's going to happen in a person's future. Absolutely. It's kind of like cross-referencing your esoterica. So it's like this one is pointing this way and also this one is pointing this way. You know, the more things you have pointing in the same direction or echoing similar themes around the same time period, the more reliably you can say that, oh, this is an important time period or this is a really important topic at this particular time. Um, So definitely transits are, you know, learn transits first probably, but they're not the only thing to rely on. And once you do have several timing techniques under your belt, you can kind of, um, you know, uh, use them in a more advanced fashion to say, yes, look at this. Yeah. So the use and agreement of multiple timing techniques can make predictions more reliable on the one hand. So it's good, you know, get transits down first and then start exploring gradually other timing techniques as well. Um, different people will gravitate towards different timing techniques and adopt certain ones that they feel are more reliable in their personal practice. So each astrologer comes to different conclusions and adopts certain techniques that speak to them the most, which is fine and is part of the sort of customization of astrology. Um, I do want to say there can be somewhat diminishing returns if you attempt to use way too many timing techniques all at the same time. Like there is a certain point where if you're using like 10 or 15 different timing techniques, it just gives you so much data and so many different variables that at a certain point it stops being uh, as useful. So sometimes it's better to you know, get an overview and get introduced to all the different timing techniques, but then find like two or three maybe that really speak to you and really hone your skills with those timing techniques and become really good at them rather than just becoming like mediocre or just like sort of okay with basic knowledge of like a bunch of them. Yeah, absolutely. Because essentially you're identifying patterns is what you're using the timing techniques for. And, um, but So it's like a middle ground of like not using one, but also not using all of the possible ones. A middle ground is good because otherwise you have too many patterns in front of you and it just becomes kind of counterproductive to what you're actually trying to do, which is hone in on like what's most important. Right. Um, Plus, as we've shown, like individual techniques, once you really get into them, like transits, for example, can be very complicated and, and getting into transits can take... Um, and learning transits and taking it as far as you can possibly go with that one technique, you know, really is a lifelong thing and is a lifelong study. So um, it's good to figure out what you want to specialize in relatively early on. That way you can become 
as adept at that, or you can master that technique as much as possible, which is going to take a lot of work on your part and is going to take many years of study. So um, it, it's good to focus a little bit of your energies, like a laser beam, a little bit rather than spreading yourself too thin. Yeah, I mean, you can start with just sampling early on, I would say, um, or even later if you want to learn new things, but you can't constantly look at 12 di different timing techniques. You know, if you're actually trying to do something with a chart, you could casually if you're just trying to look at your own life and never do anything else with, um, you know, other charts. But typically speaking, you know, you do need to narrow it down just to make it of practical use, um, if nothing else. Yeah, it's just about what's practical and also even... You know, we all we all have limited periods of time. Or if you're sitting down with somebody for a consultation, for example, you've only got like an hour or an mm -hmm. hour and a half or two hours or what have you. So you've got a limited amount of time in which you can apply a certain amount of techniques in that period. So you're gonna mm -hmm. wanna know, you're gonna wanna have your your major standby technique that's like your primary technique, your primary techniques that you know so well and you're so good at applying that um, you feel comfortable you know, resorting to those immediately before going to the more obscure or like esoteric ones. Right. Because it's really about consistently enough using them to really pull out like what's most um, interesting or what's most important out of those techniques. So if you look at like lots of different ones at the same time, they could be saying every single day of the month is important in, in a different way, in a different context, which may well be the case, but it's too much to keep in your head, you know, or talk about practically. Yeah, for sure. All right, and you know, part of the purpose of the astrology podcast also is to give people that overview and that exposure to a bunch of different different techniques. And it's like I'm systematically working my way through a bunch of them so that people can get that overview early on of all the different things that you could learn in astrology, and then eventually decide which ones they're going to focus in on in particular. Mm -hmm, definitely. All right, next point, next miscellaneous wrapping up point. Um, Something I like to say is that in order to predict the future, you have to understand the past. So transits are often context-specific, as we've talked about, and making predictions lies in projecting out the arc of the future once you've established the person's current trajectory. Mm -hmm. um, so establishing a good chronology of past events in a person's life is invaluable, is, is super valuable and super crucial when you're attempting to make predictions. Um, but also ex understanding um, past experiences of different transits, of knowing, you know, if, if a person has this transit coming up in their life, um, looking back and seeing what happened the last time that they had that exact same transit or something close to it, mm -hmm. and then looking back to see before that what happened the previous time they had that transit or something close to it, and just keep going back as far as you can go, because what will happen is oftentimes you'll start to see patterns and you'll start to see repetitions of similar archetypal manifestations of certain transits in the past. And once you've established a pattern and you've seen how that's played out for the person in the past, you can more reliably project that into the future and make a prediction about how that transit will go the next time it comes up in that person's life. Mm -hmm. And that's something... You know, it's partly having to do with how those planets are configured in your actual birth chart and, you know, the specifics of the individual chart as to giving some kind of constraints to how that transiting planet plays out um, and kind of like the pattern in which it aspects other things in your chart every time it makes that transit and so forth. Um, it's also not to say, though, you know, it's useful, I think, to additionally point out that 
they won't always go exactly the same way. And because of reasons like annual perfections or other things like that, where sometimes it's more important than other times. So say like the previous time you had a Mars transit through a certain house, Mars was actually activated as like the most important transit to watch that year. But then, um, you know, some years later, um, it's not actually activated for you in a more important way. And so you may have some similarities in the same transit because it's going, it's the same planetary energies, it's going through the same topical house, um, but, you know, so it's activating the same topical themes. But it's just to say, uh, particularly if you like had a particularly bad transit one time or something, it's not always going to replay the exact same way. I do find it fascinating how much the same transits can echo over time at different times, but um, but they're not always exactly the same. Like they, It's almost like they, it's something like history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes, that kind of saying. It's like that. Yeah, because, I mean, it's tricky because there's certain transits that will repeat, like Mars transits will repeat every couple of years, roughly. Um, and you, there can be certain similarities across time frames, but one of the mm -hmm. things that's going to be different every time you have a Mars transit is that some of your outer planet transits are going to be different because there's certain outer planet transits that only occur once in a lifetime um, mm -hmm. just because the planet moves so slowly. Right. So Pluto, for example, has what, like a 200-something two, year cycle. Mm -hmm. um, so when you have a certain Pluto transit, once that transit is over, it's going gonna, it's gonna to last for a long time, whatever that planet is, whatever that transit or event is, because Pluto is so far out and therefore moves mm -hmm. through the signs of the zodiac extremely slowly from degree to degree. But that means that once you've had that Pluto transit and whatever event it coincided with in your life, um, you're never going to have that that exact same transit again in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that's the difference between one inner planet transit of Mars that it recurs relatively frequently versus um, you know when that recurs later, but the outer planet transits are completely different for you at that point? Absolutely. It's uh, a bunch of different variables can differ um, from time to time. It's also your your age, your sort of life stage and your current life context, what's going on for you and what's, what's already the baseline for you right now versus um, the previous time the transit came around. For instance, I'm finally old enough to watch Saturn transits repeat, which is actually really fascinating. Um, because, you know, it's a 30-year difference. And so, the topics are very similar, but your life stage is different. And so, the topic, the specific topics that present themselves can be somewhat different, even if they're in the same mix of themes. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, anything else about understanding the past in order to predict the future? I don't think so. Okay. Um, next question, next miscellaneous talking point or discussion point, what is the purpose of having this information? So um, one of the issues that you may run into at this point in your astrological studies is you start thinking about issues about like fate and free will and prediction and if you know what's going to happen in the future, you have a rough idea of what's coming up, what is the usefulness of that information and what are you supposed to actually do with that in either practical terms or in a broader sort of philosophical or, or religious sense even. Um, and different astrologers come to different conclusions on that point. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think we share the idea that it gives you kind of reasonable expectations about what types of things you'll be dealing with during a certain time period. 
And I find that helpful. It's a little bit of a time map. It's like a, a map of time instead of geography. And so it says, during this particular time, you will be in some fashion focused on some of these themes. And um, in particular, your focus on these themes will have some of these certain qualities. That's actually, I feel like that's useful just as a sort of like roadmap of like, right, this is what to expect right now. Because sometimes it gives you, even if, you know, you, you think about the fate and free will thing for a minute, even if you can't change that entirely, which you certainly can't. You can't say, you know, e even if you think there's some amount of free will, the fact that those transits are already um, mapped out in decades, centuries ahead, you can always look ahead. Um, it does say that these transits will be going through these certain areas of your life and hitting these particular planets at particular times. So, there is something that's faded to that. But, um, you know, I think it's still useful to say, what am I expecting for my next six months or my next 12 months or my next five years? You know, it kind of gives you a little lay of the land and then you're like, okay, I can expect this, right? And then you sort of work with the specifics as they come about. But um, I don't know, I think that's a little bit reassuring to kind of, everyone likes a map when they go on a road trip, right? Like it's like that. Yeah, I was just thinking of that analogy. It's like when you look up the travel time, if you're going on a long distance, like car car drive, Mm -hmm. where you're driving to a destination and you look it up on like Google Maps or some program like that that tells you how long the trip is going to take, whether it's like a car or whether even like you're flying to another city, how long is that flight going to take and how long mm -hmm. you're going to have to be sitting on that flight doing whatever you're doing on that flight. It's nice having some expectation of the length of that trip versus mm -hmm. Sometimes if you don't know how long something's going to take or how long it's going to last, that can actually feel really bad because it feels like it could last forever or, mm -hmm. or something like that. Or it could be like a permanent thing that you're never going to get out of this phase of your life or what have you. When right. in reality, when it comes to most things in life, a lot of things have set time periods of experience where it's going to be like, this is what we're going to experience during this phase of our life but it's going to last all the way up until this specific point. And then we're going to move into whatever the next chapter is after that point. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of like telling you what season of life you're in in some way, um, or many seasons, as the case may be. And that's a really good point in terms of how, how long will something last, particularly if it's a transit you're not enjoying or something. Um, but, you know, there's there's like a psychological tendency sometimes for human beings to feel like if they're experiencing something they don't prefer say, to feel like this is going to last forever, it's always going to be like this. Like, And I think that's actually a really helpful corrective. Say, like, it's it's definitely not going to be like this forever, and this is around when it will end, or at least around when it will dissipate in, in greater influence. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was thinking of another analogy just now, and I lost it, but it's like the length of a trip, seasons of life, or blank, like some other analogy like that. Mm-hmm. Those are good. Yeah. All right. I'll see if it comes to me later. Mm -hmm. So moving into the next section, this brings up a lot of reflections at this point on the nature of prediction with transits and astrology in general. So um, obviously, we have to talk a little bit or at least mention, we've mentioned a few times in passing, the scope and the limits of astrological predictions and the limits on certainty, especially because astrology um, Richard Tarnas, for example, always says that astrology is archetypally predictive rather than concretely predictive. And I think there's something to that, and I, I think I agree with him 
like 70, 80% because astrology, as anybody can tell, once you get into it, we're dealing with a, a system or a language that deals in um, archetypes, which is in archetypes and in symbols or symbolism, and that you're taking the symbolism of the planets and what they mean, symbolically speaking, almost like an omen, and then you're interpreting symbolically what that might mean in a person's life. Um, but there's a certain degree of like uh, squishiness or a certain degree of malleability in terms of the specific way that that can manifest. Um, within the constraints of the archetype. So there's a certain range of meanings or a range of ways that we might expect it to, to manifest. But when it comes down to the specific manifestation, there is some ambiguity in not always knowing the precise manifestation ahead of time, but instead you only know the, the symbolic or archetypal range of possible manifestations. And in that, I think it, it provides a little bit of free will uh, in some sense, or a little bit of freedom, even if there's, broadly speaking, some predetermination in knowing that this transit is definitely going to happen at this date or during this time frame. That's like the predetermined part. And then the other predetermined part is that it's going to be this range of possible manifestations, but the specific manifestation, um, there's some limitations on the part of the astrologer about always being able to know the exact specifics. And there's something very important about that because it's a sort of inbuilt limitation to astrology because otherwise astrology would provide complete omniscience of knowing every single thing about the future all the time. And it doesn't quite do that. What it can do um, is still remarkable and is still incredibly powerful and interesting and useful. And there's so many different amazing things about it, but there's also some some limitations that have to be recognized at the same time. Yeah, I would agree. And I think um, it's interesting, you know, when you continue to learn astrology and you start learning other tools or techniques to try to even further constrain or narrow down um, the scope of or, you know, or the range of meanings, the possible meanings that a certain transit could manifest. Um, but, you know, if you talk to people who've been doing astrology, you know, for any length of time, it's like you still get surprised by the specifics sometimes. You know, it's like it's in the realm of what you were considering would be possible, but it's not always the same exact thing. And so, yeah, it can still, the specifics can still differ and can still occasionally surprise you, even if you know the general area of what to expect. Yeah. Um, so that's really important. Like astrology, it doesn't give you a crystal ball that like shows you like a movie of exactly what will take place in the future. Mm -hmm. But instead, what we're realizing at this point is we're working with a symbolist system where you can see where the planets will be in the future at exact specific dates. And then you could relate that back to the person's natal chart, which will give you an idea of some possible manifestations or a range of different scenarios that could could occur that could be like internal things that are happening with the person, they could be external things that are happening, or they could be some mixture of the two. Mm -hmm. And then you're supposed to then sort of expect or state that range of possible manifestations, and it may or may not conform perfectly to what you expect. You know, one of the instances, for example, that's tricky is like, times change, technology changes, you know, technically, when I was born in like 1984, somebody could have made predictions about like what specifically I would be doing that would be archetypally correct in terms of my profession and vocation. But the concept of like 
podcasting as a technology didn't really exist at that point. Mm -hmm. So um, an astrologer wouldn't have been able to say some of the specifics of like exactly what I would be doing career-wise, mm -hmm. even if they were able to predict archetypally some of the broad outlines of what my career would be and when some of my greatest career peaks would be. Those would be accurate as well, but it's not until you get closer to the event that you understand contextually the trajectory of a person's life, as well as some of the context of different things like technologies and other things like that that are available to the person. Absolutely. And even just like life circumstances, like what, you know, where has life brought this particular person to um, so far? Um, and, and what are the range of options in their current context in terms of how these things could even be expressed versus not likely to be expressed. So that really matters too, and you can't necessarily predict way, way ahead of time because you know someone could change something major between now and then. Um, yeah, so it's good to go in with realistic expectations, it, both if you're learning astrology for yourself and also if you're getting an astrology consultation because it really is like that. You can narrow things down to a degree that you would you know, that it, that is surprising, I, I would say, um, that you would not know without using astrology. But it doesn't tell you exactly everything. Yeah. So, um, that's really crucial. This is like a whole, this could be a whole episode in itself. And we've done different philosophy episodes. There's also lots of little sub points to that. Um, in terms of, for example, one research project I've been doing a lot over the past several years and been, been getting into more and more and more is this discovery about how sometimes <clears throat> a transit will happen that looks like it's a very important transit in a person's life, and then it will come and go, and as far as the person is aware, nothing happened in their life. Mm -hmm. But then in retrospect, later, many days or weeks or months or sometimes even years later, the person will sometimes find out that something important did happen that affected their life in a very profound or personal way, but mm -hmm. they just weren't aware of it yet because it wasn't mm -hmm. within their field of vision. Right. So that's really tricky because it means sometimes important the, the astrology itself is telling you that something important is happening that's going to potentially affect or change your life at that time, but you may not be aware of it yet until later on, if you ever become aware of it. And that creates some real complications and some real challenges sometimes for researching uh, some transits because you can't always take for granted that it's going to be like immediately evident. Because the other scenario for that is um, that I see very commonly is that sometimes a transit will happen the person will start something important, but at the time, they don't realize the significance of it because at that early stage, oftentimes in the early stages of something, we can't recognize the full importance that something will have in our life until later on when it's had time to grow and develop and mature into something more, more serious or more significant. Because sometimes it can be like a chance meeting of a new individual who you don't think is important at the time, but then later it turns out that was the person that you like later get married to or later start like a major company with or something like that. Sometimes the immediate impact of a transit and the long-term implications are not going to be evident to you until years later. Right. And that kind of connects back to um, a point that we very briefly touched on earlier, which is that the any transit is still just a smaller part of a larger circle, a much longer term circle, cycle, um, planetary cycles. And so, yeah, sometimes the transit is simply indicating this first thing is happening and it will be important in this particular area of your life. 
but it doesn't show like the entire development during just the one transit because that will keep going. Yeah, and we didn't go to that much, but I did have a diagram for that because it's something we talk about a lot within the context of Saturn returns, especially in some of those past podcasts. But mm -hmm. where, for example, when Saturn returns back to the sign and the degree that it was in when you were born in your birth chart between the ages of 27 and 30, that is the, the ending and that's the closing down of one 30-year cycle of your life. But it's also the beginning of a new 30-year cycle of your life as well. Mm -hmm. And Saturn will then continue moving around the signs of the zodiac and will reach especially three critical turning points during the course of that cycle where whatever you start at the beginning of the new cycle, you'll initiate certain themes and you'll plant certain seeds that will then grow and develop and mature over the course of the next 30 years. Mm -hmm. And then about seven years into that, when you reach the first Saturn square and Saturn squares its natal position, you'll see one of the first major developments and turning points with respect to whatever you started back at the Saturn return. Then 30 years after that, you'll reach, or seven years after that, you'll reach the Saturn opposition. Uh, 14 years after the Saturn return, and then you'll reach the halfway point and another critical turning point in whatever the Saturn themes were and the seeds that you planted at the beginning of the Saturn return will start turning into a full plant of some sort at that point. And then eventually, seven years after that, Saturn will reach its second square and you'll reach the most mature phase of whatever that Saturn cycle is and, and all of the themes that you initiated 21 years earlier at that point will reach full maturity. And then finally, seven years after that, you'll reach the second Saturn return and Saturn will return back to where it started. You'll close down and bring to completion some of the themes of that 30-year Saturn period, but then you'll also lay the seeds and the foundations for the next 30 years of your life. So. That's one specific planetary cycle, which is the 30-year Saturn cycle, but all of the planets are doing that to some extent, just at different rates and with different meanings and levels of importance. Exactly. So while, you know, if you're transiting, uh, if you're watching a transiting planet through a sign, um, through a particular topical house, um, or to a natal placement in your chart, that still says some specific things that are important for you during that specific period of time but it's still just a piece of like that larger cycle um, <clears throat> that will continue and develop in some ways, even if you're not kind of watching it inch by inch, it will gradually develop. So um, that's a part of what the transit is doing too, even though you only see like a certain piece of it when you're watching it just during uh, a certain sign transit. Yeah, it's like taking a slice because that's what the birth chart is. Uh, Bruce Schofield said this. He calls sometimes birth charts time slices because you're just mm -hmm. taking a slice of time and you're you're taking a snapshot and freezing it. Right. But the issue is that the planets keep on moving, and in reality, especially when you're looking at transits, um, if you were to think about time instead of being like this singular, discrete thing of like the present moment in time. Instead, it's like a it's like a snake that extends out where you have the past, where you started, where you were born, and then the snake kind of like grows and emerges into the present, and then eventually it snakes out into the future as this long continuous thing, which is your life, which is not 
even though we experience it in just small like slices of that snake, essentially, if you were to cut like one piece of it in half, which is the present, um, in reality, the life itself is th- this long, continuous thing. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. So we're talking about specific pieces of it at certain times, but it's actually much more holistic than that. Yeah, so similarly, like with the Saturn cycle, it's like the Saturn time snake and certain transits will experience like a singular discrete event, but it's usually tied in with the broader context of the Saturn cycle, where you can see during the course of a 30-year Saturn cycle that there were actually other events that were connected to the event you experienced in the present Mm -hmm. that either like set that event up in the past or that will be um, cascading like ripple effects of that event in the future that are still tied in with that specific cycle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's something that's very important. Looking at transits is brought within the context of broader cycles. Check out the Saturn episodes, especially for more more on that. Mm-hmm. All right, um, fate and free will, and also fatalism. Like one thing that's very important about transits that we were kind of getting to was. I think this becomes an ongoing struggle, or maybe it's an ongoing struggle for me. I don't know if it is for other astrologers, but the delicate balance between knowing what transits you have coming up in the future, developing a pretty good idea of what you think it means, um, but especially if it's a bad transit that you're anticipating and that you're worried about the potential, some sort of negative event or circumstance having in your life. well, it's okay to develop a certain degree of sort of like a hypothesis about what you think it's going to manifest. It's kind of important to develop some sort of healthy distance from it so that you're not assuming or thinking that it's certainly going to be some inevitable thing that will happen in the future. Because mm-hmm. one of the tricky things about transits is because it's so complicated and because there's so many different overlapping timing techniques in astrology, sometimes you can see something coming up in the future that's like a singular transit, but by the time you get there, there's so many other overlapping transits and other timing techniques that sometimes are more important that the event, once you actually experience it, can be much um, different or it can be much less severe than you might anticipate or fear. And mm-hmm. that's potentially one of the downsides of astrology and of transits is sometimes um, some people, depending on your temperament, you might become more pessimistic or fearful about certain placements in your birth chart or certain transits in the future. And while, yeah, and it just becomes one of the things that you have to wrestle with and come to some terms with in terms of making sure that this is something that's healthy for you, that's useful, and it is not becoming um, something that's harming you sort of mentally in some way, or that you're not getting too hung up on it. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and that is a careful balance sometimes. Um, you have to kind of focus more on the benefits of having a roadmap rather than getting like overly obsessive about the specifics or what the specifics will be in the future, particularly if they haven't happened yet. It can be interesting to see kind of what the features look like down the road. Um, but it is pretty easy, on the other hand, to start worrying about certain ones. Like, oh, it's definitely going to be this kind of thing and that it's going to be bad. And, you know, you don't want to kind of go down that road too much. Um, uh, you know, as much as possible, kind of keep an open mind, even though you can think of certain... Um, certain possibilities. And I think, in fact, that w- that's a good um, way to go about keeping a healthy distance in some of these is like, 
don't just think of the <clears throat> the ways you think will most likely come about, like a transit will come about, or what the specifics will be, but think about, try to brainstorm, like given the significations of the planet and the house and any natal planet it's aspecting, what are like all of the possibilities you can think of? Um, not that you have to do that all the time, but I think it's like a good exercise um, to sort of broaden like just past your immediate assumptions of what it's most likely to be, because sometimes they really will surprise you. Because there's, you know, so many things in the world to experience and they have to be signified by these limited number of placements and houses. And so, <clears throat> you know, sometimes because of that, it'll be like the one thing you didn't think of but still fits the symbolism will be the thing that happens and surprises you. Yeah. And it brings up other stuff about like trying to um, do our best to control the things that are within our ability to control versus not trying as much as you can not to worry about the things that are outside of our control. Mm -hmm. And sometimes transits will describe events and circumstances that happen to us externally through no fault of our own, but other times transits can sometimes describe events and circumstances that we bring about in our own life. And for that reason, I think it's important never to adopt a complete sense of like resignation or of like fatalism that a certain transit has to manifest in a certain specific way. And even if we have a pretty good idea about how a certain transit will manifest, it's probably always worth it to attempt to the best of our abilities to bring about the most constructive manifestation of that transit as we possibly can in order to ensure that we don't create a self-fulfilling prophecy where we just assume something's going to happen, that it's going to be the worst case scenario, and then we accidentally end up creating that scenario through our own self-resignation. Whereas if we had only tried to apply ourselves and try to change things or channel the energy in a way that was a little bit more constructive, that we could have had a manifestation of it in our life that was still archetypally appropriate, that matched the transit in the sky with the event that occurred, but that just occurred in a much more mild or constructive fashion or positive fashion than it could have otherwise. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you have like a Mars Mercury transit and you wake up really irritable and you just like um, assume that you're going to get in a car accident that day. And then you do get in a car accident that day because you're, you're driving too aggressively or you're too um, worked up about something or something like that. Whereas maybe there was a scenario where you could have um, uh, channeled that in a different way so that it didn't have to have that specific negative manifestation per se. Mm, yeah. I think that is a theoret theoretical thing to be careful about. Um, I don't think the self-fulfilling prophecy happens that much in astrology, but I'm sure it depends on, you know, person to person. Um, you know, I think it's just important to keep an open mind to what arises and, you know, during certain transits and what topics are actually really important. If you see a transit coming up, for instance, uh, say there's a transit coming up through your eighth house and it's a longer transit and you, there are actionable things and non-actionable things in the eighth house, right? So as just a hypothetical example, you could say, well, I need to, I already know I need to sort out my tax situation or I already need to know I need to sort out my credit card situation. You know, um, what you cannot sort out ahead of time is whether, you know, someone passes during that time in your life because mortality also goes in the eighth house, but more actionable things do too. So it's just kind of focusing on like the things that you know are within the scope of your influence and particularly things you know you, you already need to do something about um, and then kind of like tackling those while 
trying not to overly worry about the ones that are not within your control. Yeah. I mean, even with mortality and stuff, there are maybe certain things well, if you knew yeah. ahead of time, like Doing you know, a writing, a, writing a will mm-hmm. or you know, getting life insurance or other things that are like actionable items that could Im- improve things for like your loved ones or something if, if something were to happen, even in the worst case scenario. Um, yeah, but that's a I guess that's an important point just in terms there's there's a real tension in astrology and there's no hard and fast answers and different astrologers are going to come to different conclusions about the extent to which you can can change can change or control or manipulate certain things or the outcome of certain transits and what is possible or like what's on you to try to do and how you can do things to change that versus um to what extent certain things are going to happen when they're going to happen and that the purpose is almost to come to some sort of terms or some sort of peace with that and not um, obsessing about it or, or trying to control or manipulate everything, which could be you know, the other part of that that can, can get a little bit weird. Right, exactly. Yeah, and that can be a whole sub-theme on, t- on its own, a sub-discussion. Right, yeah. All right, so fate and free will, we're not going to solve that in this little... 10 or 15 minute segment at the very end of this very long episode. We'll, so we'll, we'll shelve that one for now. We'll see if we, we come back to it in the future. Sounds good. All right. Um, the next subsection, the last one of two, is mundane transits. That there can be general mundane transits that are happening in the world in general or that are happening and that affect or, you know, quote unquote, affect rather. Um, are reflected in society as a whole or that are impacting entire cities or nations or, or countries or what have you, and that are somehow describing the collective experience of different points in time, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. So there are actual charts that, you know, beyond individual charts that you can um, track the transits onto, like bigger entities like that, like countries or so forth, cities. Um, but there's also just Say the moon is in Sagittarius today, and everyone that's supposed to say something about the, you know, ambient atmosphere in general for everyone. Now that's obviously going to be transiting in a different area of each person's chart, and so there will be differences. But there is something to be said for um, the collective experience as well. So whether that's just a change in kind of emotional tenor overall, um, or you know, those, those sorts of things. It's like this kind of thing is supposed to be affecting everyone to some degree. And so, um, yeah, there's two different, we're, we've mostly focused on transits to individual charts today. And that really is where they will be most impactful individually. Um, <clears throat> but they are also saying something about the collective experience simultaneously. Yeah. So this has come up, this came up like a few years, a couple of years ago or the past couple of years with, of course, there was that major outer planet conjunction of Saturn and Pluto that happened in January of 2020. And around that time, within that few, much time peri- few month time period, there's actually an alignment of a bunch of planets in the same sign in Capricorn, which included like Mars and Venus and, and a bunch of different placements so that it was like one of those classic things that you think about that non-astrologers think about that they think astrology is about where there's just like a lineup of of planets in the sky or a stellium of planets at that at a, a crucial turning point in history and that's kind of what happened around the time of the covid outbreak or the pandemic at the beginning of 2020 and late 2019 um and that was something that 
the alignment of the planets kind of described there in Capricorn, especially with that intense Saturn-Pluto conjunction, which only occurs every, what, 40 years. The last one prior to that was around 1980, 1981, which is very early at the, towards the beginning of the AIDS pet pandemic. Um, so there are certain things like that that affect large groups of people and that's a specific branch of astrology known as mundane astrology. And sometimes the mundane astrology can set the tone for the world in general or for large groups of people. And then us as individuals like are experiencing life and trying to navigate our life within the, the overall context of some of those larger transits that are affecting the world in general at that time. Exactly. So, and it it definitely seems like sometimes compared to other times, the collective experience is much more impactful. So I would say recently, certainly through the pandemic, um, that's been a collective experience that was reflected by that buildup of planets um, that has impacted, you know, most people's lives, um, much more so than, than, say, the years previous to that. There's also the kind of experience where, say, um, you know, your individual chart looks fine, there's nice transits going on and so forth, but you happen to be living in a country that just started a civil war. That is going to be impacting your direct experience, even if it's not coming from your individual chart, because you live under the auspices of this larger entity, which is the country you're currently in. Um, and so that has to impact everyone there. Yeah. So another analogy is just like, you know, what is the weather today? And if you if you go outside and it turns out that it's raining and it's kind of raining for everybody, so that's something we're all collectively experiencing, although and having to deal with in different ways that that's the context of that day for like everybody in your city at that point. But then different people are going to deal with that um, weather or that overall context for the day in different ways, and sometimes it's going to impact them more positively or negatively for better or worse. There's going to be like one person who has an umbrella and therefore it's not like a big deal and they just like go to work and it's not a, it's and that's it but there might be another person that like doesn't have an umbrella and they get caught in a downpour and they just get soaked and that really impacts their day negatively in a much more significant way or there's other people that are like driving and they drive to work in the rain and they just drive slower but they get there okay versus there might be somebody who it's raining and then their car hydroplanes and like goes off the road and then they get in a crash or something like that so sometimes the overall astrological weather um, can impact and set the tone for lots of people at the same time and, and give us a more shared experience that we're all dealing with something, but um, it's going to impact different people in different ways. Uh, you know, the pandemic was kind of like that. There was like a lot of people that, you know, died. There was a lot of people that got sick, but then it's like, you know, occasionally there was other people that did fine. There was like billionaires that got way more wealthy over time through investments or whatever. Or there were some people who maybe through chance and circumstance ended up like meeting the love of their life during the lockdowns or something just because they had to like move back to their hometown or something like that. Um, there's different things that are going to affect different people in different ways. And that's really important to keep in mind when it comes to. Uh, talking about transits and talking about mundane transits and how the general affects sometimes the collective. Um, <clears throat> so this brings up another concept, which is called the doctrine of subsumption. And it was originally, um, okay, I remember reading about it. Rob Hand talks about it in one of his books. 
and he attributes it to Ptolemy, but I don't remember who first came up with the specific word or phrase of subsumption. But it's the idea that each of our individual natal charts can be is sort of subsumed under the major mundane planetary transits or even higher level charts for collectives that we are as an individuals operating under. So this includes like maybe the chart for our city or the chart for our country. Like for example, the United States has a birth chart, for example, and each of us, our birth chart is kind of like nested within that overall like country chart. And we're having different different experiences based on how our chart maybe relates to the country chart, for example, in different ways that can be better or worse. And it's kind of like nested, sort of like a you know Russian dolls that are like nested within one another. That there can be these higher level charts that are operating above ours that our charts are subsumed under in some way. Right, exactly. And there's always multiple of those going on at any given time. You know, it's not just only your your birth chart. Um, I think also about the example, for instance, of um, working at a company or for an organization that's been like historically dysfunctional in some fashion. Um, I don't know how many of you have done that, but certainly some people have. And there's this interesting experience where sometimes like you think, oh, I can, you know, I can make a difference here or I can make this different. And there's like a company chart operating. And sometimes there's something about that company or organization's chart that is perpetuating a certain dynamic. Uh, regardless of this individual people that come and go, which is really interesting to sort of um, think about theoretically that happening, but it does happen. Yeah. And then different countries' charts are themselves having transits to them and are sometimes describing different things. I mean, there's been countries this year, for example, that have been like invaded by other countries and mm -hmm. um, you know, there's other countries that are going through, let's say like financial turmoil or other things like that. So the concept of transits is not just, even though our primary focus is studying it within the context of our own individual birth charts or the individuals, um, different individuals around us or what have you, um, you can apply transits to inception charts for companies or countries or other things like that so that it becomes a timing technique that can help to describe the unfolding of events and the life cycle of any entity that has that was born at a specific moment in time, um, transits can be used to study the unfoldment of the life cycle of whatever that thing was for just about anything. Exactly. And it's also kind of, um, this is why um, this sort of skeptical point of like, well, say there was a plane crash, like not everyone on that plane had a birth chart indicating that that day, right? And it's because of these larger charts or say, you know, you have, a, you have fabulous things going on in your own chart, but your country's having trouble. Well, you're going to experience part of that trouble. So, um, yeah, and that, that's part of why astrology still works, even when there are collective experiences like that. And that it's actually really good to remind yourself of, because especially, I don't know, speaking from the U.S. perspective anyway, we're often very individualistic, and birth charts are the most actionable thing to look at for your own individual you know, what you can influence yourself. But it's good to remember that we don't exist only as individuals. And that's that's the part of astrology that describes the collective experiences that we do have. Yeah. And this is reminding me <clears throat> that you and I actually did episode 254 
um, I think like a few months into the pandemic back in 2020, and that was titled Misconceptions About Mundane Astrology in the Media. Mm -hmm. So that's a really good discussion about mundane astrology and I think a little bit about the doctrine of subsumption and, and different things like that that people can go back and listen to for a more detailed treatment of this topic. Right. All right. So I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Final section. So transits are possibly the most compelling way to demonstrate the validity of astrology. And I think that's one of the most promising things. Ultimately, it's not the only promising thing about transits. Obviously, there's like a lot of cool implications, a lot of different interesting things you can do with it, a lot of very personally important things that are relevant about it. But one of the most interesting to me is um, in terms of demonstrating that astrology is a legitimate phenomenon, transits is one of the things that has the most potential, I think, to do that. And ultimately, once people get into astrology, I think it becomes one of the most interesting and compelling things about it. Yeah, definitely. You know, because when you first look at your birth chart, <clears throat> there may be certain statements you can make or other people have made about what those placements are supposed to mean. Um, and you can kind of say, oh, that I think this kind of fits. But it still can be a little subjective when it's talking about like you as a person, as a whole. That's like that's a lot to talk about in one statement, right? Um, but transits, again, you get that immediate feedback. You can keep watching them. It's not just like a one-time thing where you look at your birth chart and say, this is me. This is, you know, <laughs> is this me or is this not me? But transits that keep going, you can keep watching them and see if they do eventuate with the types of things you would expect or not. Right. Yeah, so it provides a more objective measurement, as we said before, of like, did something occur or did it not, mm -hmm. versus just, you know, what might be a more subjective and hard to distinguish, you know, character trait or character personality statement about a person, um, which is more, you know, skeptics, for example, bring up the issue of like, um, what is it, subjective bias of, um, mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm spacing out the specific word, but just the idea that people will... Confirmation bias. Confirmation bias, that that supposedly like a personality statement given to a person that they is said to be about them, that a person will tend to confirm it more often than they'll deny it. And, you know, th there's counter arguments with that because certainly um, you can make statements about a, about a person that they will absolutely like not resonate with at all. So mm -hmm. that ar that argument even is taken too far oftentimes by skeptics. But something like transits, while there's still some some issues with the application, there's some hidden um, challenges that come up, like especially for example, that's why I've been researching this issue of transits that coincide with an event, but the person isn't aware of it until sometime afterwards. That's a major hindrance, an obstacle to research of transits, just the existence of that phenomenon at all. But that mm. being said, in theory, transits are one of the most objective ways to measure whether there is some sort of astrological phenomenon and whether there is, for some strange reason, a correlation between celestial movements and earthly events, which is my basic definition of astrology. Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely the first thing that really made me feel like astrology definitely worked. Um, you know, having been in, having looked at my birth chart before that, I was like, yeah, this could kind of fit. Um, I guess I could see that, you know, but um, I remember at the time that I got fully invested in astrology, I was going through a pretty bad time. 
And statements that I was already making before I looked at the astrology, before I kind of went back to look at it, I was like, I feel like I'm going through hell. Why is this happening? And um, when I went and looked at my chart, I was like, okay, chart kind of describes me. But I was like, oh, transiting Pluto was transiting exactly over my sun that year. And I was like, right, that's associated with the underworld. Okay, I feel like I'm going through hell. That, that lines up. <laughs> and, you know, it's just one thing. Obviously, there were many more. But uh, it's the, that type of thing where that can be a lot more striking and immediate in your experience rather than like thinking about the overarchingness of who you are as a person and all your different facets, you know? Um, so, yeah, it was certainly the thing that made me definitely look into astrology more after that. Yeah, and and it's a thing where for me, like if if a skeptic hasn't looked into transits to see if the basic premise of transits is true, then I'm not really interested in what they think about the validity of astrology because it means if a person hasn't looked into this piece of astrology, they haven't looked into one of the most important and objective techniques that can be used in order to see if there is actually if the premise of astrology holds up, which is that there's a correlation between celestial movements and earthly events, um, mm -hmm. the the premise of astrology is not merely restricted to the concept of sun signs. That like there's something about our personality characteristics that matches the month we were born. It's obviously a it's obviously much more complicated than that. Transits is is that nice little middle point where you get into the full implications and the full actual practical practical applications of this weird continuous correlation between celestial movements and earthly events that's actually measurable and demonstrable in some way. Because you can look and see, did the transit coincide with an event or did it not? If it did, then that means astrology works, and that has some really weird implications for the nature of the cosmos and the world we're living in and everything else. And you know, once you've figured out that it actually works, that astrology is actually a leg legitimate phenomenon and that it can do that, then the next question is, how far can you take it? And how far can you take that basic premise? And how far can you push the potentials of astrology in order to reach and truly understand what it's capable of? Yeah, agreed. It's kind of that really that entry point to getting further into astrology because it definitely shows that astrology is certainly not not just not about sun signs, but also just not only about personality. You know, it really describes our worlds, um, both internal and external. And so, yeah, I think that's the kind of stepping off point is, oh, what else does astrology do? That's so fascinating, right? Yeah, well, it's it's something about time. It's mm -hmm. something about time. It's something about time having qualitative properties. Right. It's something about time, even though experience it in slivers, being much more mapped out and like fully fleshed out ahead of time in the past and present and the future than we as you know three dimensional beings are um, capable of comprehending on some level. Like astrology mm -hmm. gives us some weird uh, glimpses into something about time that's much more complex and interesting and sort of profound than we can even fully grasp, I think, on some level. But even right. just having that little glimpse into that, um, you know, for most normal, for most astrologers, is such a profoundly um, compelling experience. And the implications of that are so far-reaching and so interesting on, on a philosophical and 
um, spiritual and practical level that how could you not want to study that and and to like sort of you know in some instances for astrologers devote your life to the study of that phenomenon and mm -hmm. seeing just how far it goes and how far you can take it and what it says about the nature of the cosmos um, it's it's really a, a, an interesting mystery that I think all of us then sort of fall in love with in some sense and want to explore to its fullest extent. Right. It's kind of like learning that something you just kind of took for granted as like a basic singular thing that was an aspect of your life, i.e. time. The time is actually much more multifaceted. It's not just qualitative rather than neutral, but it has different qualities at different times, at different you know points in time. Uh, it also has different facets of quality emphasized for different people at different times and at the same time. And so, yeah, it's like it's suddenly finding out like something like really basic building block of our life experience is like so much richer than, um, than it first appeared. And it has all these different internal facets that you can just keep going and looking at. Um, yeah, so I think that is why it's kind of the entry point to going further into astrology, um, because it really does go beyond like, oh, I'm this type of person or even... I have these different kinds of facets to me, but it's like, oh no, there's always different astrology things going on at every single moment. Yeah, and when we talk about like time being qualitative, it means that time then doesn't just have duration or length, like a clock on the wall doesn't, you know, a clock on the wall describes, um, you know, the duration of an hour and how far through an hour you are. Um, relatively speaking, from the starting point to the end point, that you're like halfway through the hour, so that means you're 30 minutes into the hour or what have you. Time doesn't just have length and duration, but that it has quality, that there's different um, experiences of different points in time, and that those different experiences of time at different points in our life, that you can actually describe them ahead of time, that you can describe the quality of the experience that a certain person is going to have at specific points in time during the course of their life, um, that realistically speaking, like practically speaking, shouldn't be possible, but for some reason with astrology it is. And there's something profoundly interesting about that that, that we've got to get to the, the bottom of. And that's what we're that's what we're doing here both as astrologers and on the podcast and in this workshop, and that hopefully we've given people a nice detailed introduction to and, and sort of discussion of today. Mm -hmm. So if transits are new for you, follow us down the wormhole. <laughs> um, yeah, it really fundamentally sort of introduces you to a, kind of a, a changed worldview, I would say, at least in part, in understanding that these things can happen and can correlate can actually correlate with different experiences in your life and different qualities of time. So yeah, hopefully this has been a good introduction to those of you who are new to it or um, sort of a, an overview for those who are more experienced as well. Yeah. So we kind of made a decision because we wrote this outline earlier this year, most of it, and then we finished it up recently over the past few days because uh, I really felt compelled or pushed to finish it and get it get this episode out finally now it's something we've been wanting to do for years and i'd been putting off and putting off because i wanted to do a complete comprehensive treatment of transits once we finally did it and we decided to do more of a conceptual 
overview of transits because we realized how long it was going to take just to do that and just to do the overview and to use like a few hypothetical example charts and diagrams and and sprinkle in like a couple of examples. So what we'd like to do is do a follow-up workshop, uh, a follow-up workshop and follow-up episodes on the concept of transits where we go through different example charts in order to show different variations in practice of some of the different concepts that we've talked about during the course of this episode. So we're hoping to do a part two at some point in the not-too-distant future on the podcast. Mm -hmm. So look forward to that. Um, We should be going over example charts. I also don't know if you wanted to uh, put a little of an open call for questions about transits to incorporate into that. Did you want to do that? Sure. I mean, I guess because part of it is we want to do a Q&A about transit. So if people do have any questions about transit, specifically about transits and about the concept or technique of transits, we're not necessarily talking about, you know, ask us specific interpretations of your birth chart or specific transits you're having or what have you. Mm -hmm. But if people have good questions about transits that arose for you during the course of this episode, um, especially I'd recommend posting them in the comments section on YouTube below this video, and then we'll probably take some of the some of the best questions and incorporate those into a Q&A episode on transits at some point in the not-too-distant future. Mm-hmm. So if you had questions after listening to this, please let us know. Maybe we'll be able to answer your question in the next one. Yeah. And all right, I think we've done it. I think we've done the long-awaited transits episode. Lisa, thanks Mm -hmm. for doing this with me. Quite welcome. Happy to be here. Yeah. So you have a website, uh, I I believe. You do consultations. You have lectures and other other things. Yes, just lisashime.com. It's in my name.com. Yeah, I have some lecture recordings there for sale. I do have, um, I do consultations natally. They're a little on hold right now, but um, while I finish up a wait list. But if you add your email address to my mailing list, which you can find at the bottom of the page on my website, um, then that is actually the only place I'm going to announce when I have new openings because they're getting filled up too quickly. So mailing list people will hear when I have new openings. Other people probably will not. Yeah. All right, cool. And your website is lisashime.com? Yes. Cool. All right. Um, And I'll probably put a link to that somewhere. Uh, so as for myself, I'm going to keep doing the podcast again, if you support this work, if you got something out of this episode or any of the other free content, consider signing up on Patreon to support this work and help me continue to do and keep expanding some of the work I'm doing at the podcast. Um, if you want to learn more about interpreting natal charts, um, my main course that I teach is the Hellenistic astrology course where I take people from basic concepts of planet signs, houses, aspects, up through intermediate concepts, and even into advanced ones, including some timing techniques. So you can find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. And I think that's it for this episode. So thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for joining me today, Lisa. Quite welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode, and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, and Jake Otero. If you like the work that I'm doing here on the podcast and you would like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. And in exchange, you'll get access to bonus content, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the month ahead forecast each month, 
access to a private monthly auspicious elections report that we put out each month, access to exclusive episodes that are only available for patrons, or you can also get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, go to patreon.com slash astrology podcast. The main software we use here on the podcast to look at astrological charts is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available at alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we use a similar set of software by the same programming team called AstroGold for Mac OS, which is available from astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount on that as well. If you would like to learn more about the approach to astrology that I outline on the podcast, then you should check out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, where I traced the origins of Western astrology and reconstructed the original system that was developed about 2,000 years ago. And in this book, I outline basic concepts, but also take you into intermediate and advanced techniques for reading a birth chart, including some timing techniques. So you can find out more about the book at hellenisticastrology.com slash book. The book pairs very well with my online course on ancient astrology called the Hellenistic Astrology Course, which has over 100 hours of video lectures where I go into detail about teaching you how to read a birth chart and showing hundreds of example charts in order to really demonstrate how the techniques work in practice. So find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. And finally, special thanks to our sponsors, including the Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is available at mountainastrologer.com, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, and the AstroGold Astrology app, which is available for iPhone and Android. You can find out more information about that at astrogold.io.